Between the draft and NHL free agency, this is In Goal Radio, the podcast brought to you by the Hockey Shop, source for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. A fantastic feature interview today with Kimberly Newell. What a story. What a journey for Kimberly. And uh, she will walk you through it with the enthusiasm that uh, that is unmatched. Uh, looking forward to that conversation brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. And our gear segment today, uh, focusing on the Bauer M5 Pro line. And that's the second price point. Can't wait uh, for Cam and Woody to uh, break things down because there's a lot of value in that. And uh, really excited that we're spending so much time on the second price point as well. As we uh, welcome in the co-founders of Ingle Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. We are past the draft. We've seen some movement in the National Hockey League with the goaltending front uh, sneaking up on free agency. Billy Husso has a deal and a new team. Marc-Andre Fleury has a new deal and it's a multi-year contract. And we're waiting for Darcy Kemper and Jack Campbell to zero in on their new homes. Woody, what are you hearing? I think a lot of... And interesting, we're not supposed to be hearing anything because remember, they got rid of that. You know, you're not supposed to talk to teams. Yeah, they're not in this. talking, are they? <laughs> but of course, we, we all know they always have. I don't know why they just didn't leave it as a formalized option because it goes on constantly. So, you know, whatever. Um, there's certainly... that You don't have to read the tea leaves very hard to see the links between Darcy Kemper and the Washington Capitals, a fit that I like. And Jack Campbell being tied heavily, as much as Kyle Dubas said that their goal was to bring him back in Toronto, being tied very heavily right now to the Edmonton Oilers, which is interesting because that would leave not a whole lot of options, at least proven number one established options for whoever misses out on Jack Campbell, whether that's Edmonton or Toronto. And of course, Kyle Dubas, as much as he did tell us that that was the guy, that Jack was the guy they were hoping to bring back, um, that comes two days after he pumped the tires of Peter Morazic and then traded him away. So uh, GM's got to say what GM's got to say. Uh, I'm curious to see which way they go. Could we see a Matt Murray reunion with Sh- Sheldon Keefe, Kyle Dubas, and John Elkin having a strong voice? It sounds like in the goaltending department with the Toronto Maple Leafs, nothing's been formalized in terms of a director title, but it sure sounds like um, there's a strong role for John. And of course, through his schools, Elkin goalie schools worked a lot with Matt Murray in the summer. So, um, Ottawa is clearly looking to move on from Matt. Uh, we know the stories emerged from the draft about him turning down a trade to Buffalo. Um, it sounds to me like the way it was presented to him wasn't very politely. There were some ultimatums involved, which I'm guessing based on the way they've treated him in the past two years and the way some things have gone there, other than the fact they paid him a lot of money, uh, didn't sit very well. So uh, there's, a, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of movement coming. And with only a couple of proven established starting goalies on the market for free agents, uh, I think a lot of that movement could involve trades. And could a guy like Matt Murray with two years left at a little over $12.5 million dollars um, if Ottawa eats it, become part of this conversation if they're willing to eat some of that cash. Boy, it uh, ramps up the pressure between Edmonton and Toronto, who have both dealt with the question mark of goaltending the last uh, couple of years, Hutch. Yeah, it sure, do- sure does. It's going to be a fascinating time when free agency opens up. In the last several years here, we've really enjoyed seeing that musical chairs game going on and so many guys with a bit of pedigree 
jumping from team to team. It's been an exciting time for all of us. Now it's going to be an exciting time for really a completely different reason. I think there's so many more question marks out there. As Woody said, there's only a couple of proven number ones and perhaps the bidding getting down to uh, Edmonton and Toronto for Jack Campbell services. And then after that, we've got this pretty significant group of guys with NHL experience, but maybe not that number one tag to go with them, who are all going to be looking for jobs. And that secondary market, that's really going to be that traditional game of musical chairs. And a lot of guys are going to have to jump fairly quickly to uh, to grab their spots. So, um, you know, we were talking earlier about an Eric Comrie, for example, who put up some fantastic numbers last year in, in limited service in uh, Winnipeg. So where's he going to end up? Um, all sorts of great names out there. And it's going to be a, a fun day for all of us, I think, if not, not uh, if not for the guys involved who are probably sitting on pins and needles wondering what the future holds. Well, and then obviously the other part of that is, you know, that game of musical chairs is tough for free agent goalies. But I think this year, because of the potential for trades to play an even bigger role in filling some of those spots, um, that's a that's a different equation, right? Like now you're talking about guys, and you know, like I said, Matt Murray already exercising his right to not go to Buffalo um, via the you know the no movement or no trade portions of his contract. Um, that's a tougher one if the musical chair starts to get into guys who weren't planning to move, aren't getting to make the final call amongst their options, and all of a sudden they're just traded and they got to pull up. And another team to keep a close eye on here as we get into that. You know, maybe it'll be after free agency for the teams that miss out. But keep an eye on the San Jose Sharks, right? Let's not forget, James Reimer had a really nice year. Uh, I think gets overlooked a lot for just the consistent level he plays at, consistently above expected with some, you know, he's got some nice peaks uh, mixed in there as well. And last year's one of them. Uh, but they've also got Aiden Hill under contract. They've got Kapo Kakinen, um that they brought in as part of, part of the trade with the Minnesota Wild last year. So, you know, there's one where you kind of got to look at the teams that have more than one. I uh, look at the Islanders. Florida. Lots of talk about, you know, I mean, I think on the record, the the conversations uh, at the draft, Bill Zito talked about, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky being a part of their organization. You certainly hear a lot of buzz around the league about a willingness to eat 50% of that contract if they could find a trade partner, uh, obviously um, with Spencer Knight pushing up from below. But what you can't forget as well is, you know, that contract isn't just term and dollar. It's no-move clause. And I've, I'm not mistaken, a full no-move clause for Sergei Borowski, who talked a lot last year about sort of being grounded by having his first child and how that changed his mindset uh, and some of his mental approach to the game. I also got to think it means he's probably not super eager to pull up all his roots and move his, his new, you know, like his young family with uh, with with a young child. So... Um, he's got a say in this. He's got a voice at this table. So I, I, I'm not anticipating a move there for all those reasons. That'd be pretty bold of Florida too, who surely expect to still be contending next year to move with Spencer Knight as their number one, who's got all kinds of pedigree, but isn't proven ready to take over that role yet. New coach too, uh, used to riding the number one guy a lot in, in Paul Maurice, uh, has in the past flip back and forth too. So he's seen both sides of it, but uh, that'll be, uh, that'll be really intriguing. Uh, how it uh, shakes down will be fascinating because somebody will be left on the hot seat. Uh, Billy Huso getting that deal uh, through free agency. Just a quick uh, comment on Detroit going that route. Well, I like the tandem. I, like we're obviously, and we're biased here because he's been so good to us over the years, but 
Man, if you've ever if you've ever sat in on and, and this is a plug for ingolmag.com and our pro reads and the weekly video breakdown sessions we do with NHL goalies, Alex Nedeljkovic is one of my favorites. The way he thinks the game, um, he's a real keen, eager. I, I, I like that tandem, Billy Huso and Alex Nedeljkovic, uh, and I also really like the hire they just made. Uh, right, I think right around the same time as they announced the trade and contract for Huso. And maybe the the money on the contract for Huso might be a little rich, but he earned it. Um, but I I really like the hire of Alex Westland in Detroit, and I think having a little glimpse into some of his approaches and some of the things he teaches through our conversations with so many of the goalies that have had success in Hershey and moving up to Washington. You think of a Zach Fucali finally breaking through and making his NHL debut and playing well after all those years. Um, you think of Vitek Vanacek, who was just traded in the New Jersey Devils, like the work that Scott Murray did with him in Washington and and Alex did with him in Hershey to take a guy who, you know, wasn't necessarily, you know, seen as a surefire NHLer to get him to that level. And Ilya, even Ilya Samsonov, for all the questions that surround him now as a guy whose name is out there on the trade market. Um, but there's been progress there. I, and Phoenix Copley as well. So I like I like Alex Westland and having an idea of his philosophy, knowing some of the philosophies that led to Huso's success in terms of the teaching and the style of teaching and the style of play. I think that's going to be a really good fit, not just for Billy Huso, but also also for Alex Nedeljkovic. And you know, I haven't gone through and ranked tandems around the league, but that one would be pretty high on my list. The question is going to be. Can Detroit figure out, and obviously a new head coach in, in Lalonde will play a role in this, can they figure out how to defend as a group? Because they've really left their goaltenders hung out to dry, and you saw it wear on Adelkovich a little bit last year. He had moments of brilliance, but trying to stay consistent when you're under siege like that can be tough. And so if that can all come together at once, we could be talking about an exceptional tandem and you know maybe, maybe a surprise team making a push next year you know, behind that goaltending and the new goaltending coach. Hutch, you should teach a seminar on on that, on keeping it together when there's chaos around you, because you are the one that holds this entire project together, week in, week out. He's our glue guy. He is. He is. He is daddy. He is glue. He is the superstar. Pretty funny how we all are interpreting how we handle situations when in reality, we're just a text message away from everybody. Nobody knows what's going on on the other person's face. Maybe I'm pulling my hair out and I'm not holding it all together. Maybe I'm going insane. And then I just come up calm when we talk to each other. If you want to see chaos though, you should have seen the scenario over at the hockey shop this week, rolled into the hockey shop Thursday morning with Kevin and cam. I take a ferry over there. So it's uh, I'm up at three 30 in the morning to hop on the ferry and get over for the recording session. So there's yeah. a significant investment of uh, both treasure and spirit in the morning. And uh, when the two of them get nattering away at each other and I got to pull things together so that we can be sure we get a good month's worth of segments done inside of that hour and a half, uh, it's chaos. But you know what? It's a whole lot of fun too, hanging out with those two. And Darren, I don't know if you can pick it out in this week's segment or not, but the chirping has been pulled back and there's a whole lot of peace, love and happiness with these two. I got a sense of that. And I wasn't sure whether that was your influence or whether. Woody just being back from the islands was was just in a good frame of mind. I think it was what the surfing. It? I, it had to yeah. be the surfing. Wait, you you won't see it in this week's quite so much, but the uh, the little graphic that accompanies the video next week, they're actually hugging it out. So it, it was a beautiful moment, Darren. Hey, hey listen, Woody. I'm still on island time, boys. It's peace, love, dope down there. It's great. 
What's going on with uh, Cam and company over at the hockey shop? Well, you talk about organized chaos, man. There are people coming in all the time, super busy. They're preparing for the move in the fall to the new location, but it doesn't affect you now whether you go in person to the hockey shop, source for sports in Surrey, or you shop them online at thehockeyshop.com. All the new gear, uh, all the things that we've been debuting, plus a whole bunch more that's coming up. The second price point lines. There's a new stick from True. Um, We've got CCMs new sticks uh, coming out in the next month or so. We've been playing with those uh, personally and getting a lot of good feedback on the new CCM Twigs A-Hutch, and those will be in store pretty soon as well. So it is like there's just a constant flow of new gear coming into the hockey shop and a constant flow of goalies coming in wanting to check it out. And there is no better place to check it out, whether it's in person or online. Make you sure you go to the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. And as you'll hear us stress a little bit amidst hugging it out over the next four segments, it's not just Cam. He's the star of the show for us, but... When you get to meet, and we met some of his staff, uh, uh, one of them attended. I mean, these are all goalies and competitive goalies. Cooper attended the seminar with Pete Fry, the mindset guy that we ran a couple of weeks ago. Like when you talk goalies with his staff, they have the same passion that you hear from Cam, the same passion that has us involved in this project and Ingle Magazine. And all. Like they bring that to the retail experience. So even if Cam isn't there, as much as I love encouraging everyone to call him up and annoy him, uh, there will be an expert on hand, not just some kid they hired off the street out of high school, but a like bona fide, plays the position, loves the position, eats, sleeps, and breathes the position, goaltender in the department, ready to help you get the gear that fits your body fits your game, fits your style, and fits your price point. They have all the options at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com. Including this week's gear segment, uh, dealing with Bauer. Hutch? Well, I was just going to say, despite everything Woody said was going on at the hockey shop, and it's a crazy busy time, it's almost Christmas with all these new lines coming in. Imagine all that was happening at Christmas around your house, and you're packing to move to a new home. Because they've got that going on too, right? We announced that a few weeks ago. Yep. There's a new location coming up for the hockey shop uh, in the fall, and they've got to navigate all of that while they're dealing with all this new gear coming into the current store. So uh, kudos to all the the folks over at the hockey shop for for making things work so well for everybody still. Well, speaking of things that work so well, Bauer's second price point, and we're going to talk about it now, is a line that has really taken off. They've done a really nice job of bringing pro-level features down to a lower cost, We've had goalies play at very high levels, right up to like major bantam wearing this gear and get through multiple seasons, especially in the leg pads. Uh, And this is the latest generation of it. The Bauer M5 Pro. Cam's going to fill us in on exactly what features are carried down from the Mach Pro line all the way down to the second price point for basically half the price. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports for our latest gear segment slash episode of Shorzy. Little dental emergency, folks. I apologize if there's a little bit of stumble in the speech, but the uh, old temporary flipper is not quite yet ready. Things haven't healed yet, so we're just going to ignore this. It's a hockey, it's a hockey broadcast, so to speak. Okay. Let's get to the goalie gear. Normally, goalies don't worry about missing teeth. Evidently, I have to. You should see the other guy, Cam. But more importantly, you should see the other 
part of the new mock lineup, and that is the M5 Pro, which is in stock here at the Hockey Shop and online at thehockeyshop.com. Yes. This is the second price point pad, the next one down from the Bauer mock, which we talked about a few weeks ago, the all-new pad from Bauer. And as usual, they've done a really good job of bringing features from their top line down to the second price point. Pad's just a thousand bucks right up to senior sizing. Cam, walk me through some of the features that are included in the M5 Pro uh, and the similarities to that top tier mock line. So let's focus on the pad first. Um, the M5 Pro uh, retains that supreme styling in terms of curvature profile and also stiffness, um, especially in the senior line. Intermediate line's a little bit different actually, so there's a bit more flex um, than we would have expected to see. So what this does is give the younger goalies a little bit more mobility, a little bit more flex profile to the pad. Um, we don't want to turn them into too much of a block. Um, they've also adjusted the widths of the pad as well in the M5 Pro. So as you tear up through their lineup, um, once you get to an intermediate large, I believe the pad is a 10.5 inch wide pad, whereas opposed to the Vapor series, they all stayed at 10 going through their lineup. So something a little bit different there, but focusing back on the, the senior pad, we still get their Stabila Slide knee stack. A lot of stability. Great overall seal, excellent drive down to the ice. You know, it's an excellent upgrade feature for the pad itself. Awesome to see it brought down into their uh, midline level pad. Uh, what we don't see on the pad is their core tech in terms of for their face to the pad and the rebounds. So you will see a bit of a difference there. Well worth noting, but however, this pad is still going to kick out a decently hard rebound. That said, you still get the same slide surface as you would on the mock pad in terms of for their overall slideability. Not that exact same curvature that you'll find on the mock pad in terms of for the cap plate. There's no integrated cap bracket here as well, so that's well worth noting. However, in terms of overall feel-wise and you're sliding around on the ice, you're still gonna get just as good of a push. Moving on to the back, you do see the new style tween fit, which we did see on the mock pad itself. Um, again, adjustable from the side, a little bit more like a reverse knee sling. Overall feel-wise, good control, good connection to the leg, a little bit of a deeper channel. Again, something that we found on the mock itself, similar styling towards that boot as well with that deeper inset. Uh, we do find is a one-to-one -one so far. Knees kind of line up, but because this pad's straighter, it's been fitting about a half inch taller on the thigh. So well worth noting between that and the vapor. And when you say fitting a half inch taller, you mean relative to the Vapor lineup, not Correct. relative to the Mach Pro lineup. No, so Mach is still one-to-one -one with these guys, but when we're comparing it from Vapor to Mach or you know M5 to 3X, for example, yes, I have been finding that the thigh rise has been fitting a little bit taller. Again, that can be attributed a little bit more so to the actual curvature of the pad being straighter on the leg itself. We see the cushion. For the calf as well, continues from the pro line down into this. The M, I keep calling it the pro line. It's just the mock line. This is actually the M5 Pro. And kind of aptly named, uh, despite being a second price point pad, you're getting a lot of what we would normally call the pro features. features. Yeah. Hey, there's a coin that term. Yeah, I like pro that. Features. Pro, I like it. Pro features. Essentially, what they've done here is, is given you everything except for that Cortex skin. You know, and Curvex composite, and Curvex composite, but a lot of the, a lot of the features, a lot of the feel, uh, a lot of the extras. Uh, you know, Stabilis Slide knee on a second price point pad to me is a major win. 
And this is a pad cam that is going to work well for who? Like what what age range? What skill range? You know, clearly I know us beer leaguers all want to buy the latest in pro gear. The reality is this thing's going to perform for you really well. It's going to get you through beer league sessions, going to get you through multiple seasons. We had a set, uh, I, I want to say it's a couple generations ago, a Bauer second price point pad that made it through two, I think it's into its third season now of being used at a major Bantam level. So this is, this is a level where you're talking about practices five times a week. And the cheaper second price point pad is still going after multiple seasons at that level. So yes, you get a slight reduction in materials relative to the more expensive mock pad, but durability, like these things are really standing up for us over time. There's there's a lot to be, you know, happy with. A lot of the features that they can kind of wear on the pad can be replaceable, like tomb fits replaceable, the knee straps replaceable. Obviously, your toe ties, the elastic ones, which they do come with, they're replaceable as well. These are all parts that when you say wear out, I mean, at the end of the day, elastic eventually stretches out. Exactly. And that, I mean, again, it's a replaceable product on the pad itself. So, yeah, we've been extremely happy with the way that, you know, Bauer's midline pads have performed over the past uh, couple of years. So, in terms of, yeah, who it's for, your growing kid as he's tearing through his hockey, even at his higher levels, like this pad's still going to work for you. Barely years of all levels. Yes, this pad's going to work for you for sure. There's a lot to be excited about and excellent value. It's still holding its $9.99 price point, which is great. We've seen a lot of price increases this year, and this is one of the things that's actually stayed the same. So here we go. Nice little win. Real quick, gloves. Gloves. Okay. M5 Pro relative to the Mock Series, what are the biggest differences? Because I will say, like, especially when you get into higher level, even beer league or higher level youth leagues, you know, that's the one thing between the second price point and the top price point, uh, protection levels in glove. How does that change from Mach to M5 Pro? So no pull-on in the glove. It's still a Curvex base, so you still get the nice rigidity out of the glove and good stability in terms of that sense. We still actually have the uh, tacky finger stalls. Um, I can't remember the exact name for it because it's escaping me right now, but we'll call it tacky finger stalls for now. Great grip on the glove itself. Excellent closure. You are going to notice a little bit of that thickness difference in terms of the palm. I mean, hey, we got to make a downgrade somewhere. Um, they don't have catch light on this glove as well. So again, that's just one of the features that you are going to see kind of being taken back. In terms of for overall playability and padding wise, though, like to me, this is still something that would cut it at like kind of that mid-level of hockey for sure. You know, if you are executing at a bit of a higher level, it might make sense to go with, say, the mock gloves and then M5 Pro pads. If you were looking to save a little bit of cash, that might be the play to go there. But in terms of overall feel-wise, you know, I should still feel comfortable taking it up for most levels of hot. Real quick, quick blocker. Uh, some of the differences between this and the mock blocker. Cortex, the big one for sure. Overall feel-wise and balance, you know, very, very similar. Rebound pops going to be pretty close as well. But again, you don't have that Cortex skin, so you're not going to have as much of that pop that you would find there. And no pour on in the finger stalls as well. So. Another quick call out that way. And you're right. I do, like it. That is a nice closure in the tacky. I do like that tacky finger. Tacky fingers. Right now, again, you know, we've walked over some of the differences um, on this line compared to mock, but it retains the same principles. Stiffer pad, a little more flex flatter boot than we saw in the last generation of Supreme. Glove is more of a 60 degree angle in terms of the catch break. Again, a lot of the features, if you need to have them 600, refreshed. 600 break if you want to label it. What did I call it? 60. 60 would be a 590. I've been on vacation. I've been on vacation. 600 glove. And uh, if you want to refresh what those features look like, how they play, how they fit, how they feel, make sure you go back and check out our original review on the mock. You can compare notes. 
on some of the features for the, for the mock pads and gloves to what we have here in the M5 Pro before you make that decision. And of course, if you've got questions before you make that decision, whether it's about fit, uh, sizing, style, is this going to fit your game more than say a 3X or will the mock fit your game uh, more than the vapor line? Make sure you call Cam and his crew here at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports or check them out at thehockeyshop.com. They're always available to answer your questions. I know we're always teasing Cam as the expert. The reality is he's trained a whole bunch of great goalies down here on his staff and they'll all be able to help you out if they have questions, Cam, about fit, about ordering. Can you get this? In, is there, are there any custom options on this? Can you get this with your name on it like you could 3X? 3X only. Okay. 3X only. One quick note. M5 Pro Stick, we will talk about this in another week. So we will save this little gem for later. Nice little quick tease at the end. So give me a call here at 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. Wow. Between my missing tooth and the fact that I stumbled and made mistakes while you just nailed everything, you're not even going to need me for these anymore. Wow, I'm impressed. Good job, Cam. Whatever you say, Sorzy. We have turned a page in the relationship between Woody and Cam. You weren't kidding when you teased that uh, going into it, Hutch. There's a bromance going on here. Bromance. Love it. What a great term. We're going to have to come up with some bromance name for them, too. No. Oh, yeah. I don't know. How do we ship them here? Like, what's, what's the new name? Everybody write in. Let us know. Podcast at ingolmag.com or head over to the videos and leave your comment on YouTube. And if you could like and subscribe, we'd appreciate that. Leave your comment underneath the video. What's your new bromance? What's your new ship name for Cam and Woody? Hey, speaking of organized chaos, I don't know if you could hear it. Maybe there was a little bit of whistle in that last video that comes through. Um, You're not going to talk about your teeth again, are you? But this was the thing. I literally was driving there. Hutch is coming from the ferry. And I'm like, oh my. I text him using Apple CarPlay so because funny. I would never text and drive. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot my tooth. <laughs> so, it was awesome. Yeah, the next four episodes will have a little, a little whistle to them. But uh, hey, what can you do? Make sure if you want a good laugh, head over to our videos on YouTube, Insta, IGTV, Facebook. We post the actual videos that go with these gear segments on all our social media channels. But definitely check out the YouTube. It goes up there first. And you too can have a chuckle at Kevin's Toothless Look. Uh, did you have your tooth in when you spoke to Kimberly Newell? I literally texted Hutch as I hit the highway on my way to that interview going, oh my God, I did it again. <laughs> I forgot my tooth. See, I didn't wear it at all when I was in Hawaii because I didn't want to lose it in the water. And frankly, it's just a pain in the ass. So um, I sort of keep forgetting to put it in. I'm, I've, I literally have reminders uh, all over my phone right now uh, for a couple of... Um, uh, important family events that are coming up to make sure like I literally set alarms for before I leave to these important family events to make sure they're not the kind of things you show up at with a giant gap in your tooth. So make sure Kevin, yeah. you idiot do not like I could pull up my phone and you'll see my alarms are labeled. You know, you can label your phones on your, your alarms on your iPhone. It's like, don't forget your tooth. Don't forget your tooth. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm not that bright guys. What can I say? Now I got the look to match. At least you don't need it for your workouts uh, with Sensorina, Sensorina VR, because you're looking through the headset and uh, Hutch, it continues to make some some great strides and uh, new features every little bit. 
Yeah, one of the things we love about Sensory and Adarin is the fact that they update the software uh, on a very regular basis. And so you get new drills, you get new uh, modes, they've got different ways of throwing the shots at you, different scenarios. So your opportunity to uh, improve with Sense Arena grows every single time you use it. One of the things that's great about Sense Arena, guys, is the fact that, of course, that you can get on the ice, the virtual ice, anytime you want. And uh, ice time's not easy to come by these days. We are heading on a road trip this week. Tuesday morning, we are going to head out. We're going through Calgary and up to Edmonton for a whole pile of different reasons related to goaltending. And Sensorina is coming along for the journey so that uh, wherever we are, where we don't have things booked to be on the ice, we're going to be able to open, grab uh, Sensorina and just uh, keep our skills sharp. So might even get a chance to grab a few photos of uh, Sensorina being used in some iconic places as we go through the Rockies of uh, Western Canada, boys. But uh, Sensorina, just a great opportunity for goaltenders to improve their game at all times strongly suggest everybody out there give it a try the feedback we get from goaltenders of all ages from minor hockey right up to the grizzled veterans of beer league are that it's an incredible tool if you head over to sensarena.com you can grab yours today and use the secret code igm50 and you can get a little discount on top of uh everything else that sensarena might be offering at the time uh, make sure if maddie's going to use it uh, on the car ride to Edmonton and uh, Calgary that he's in the back seat, okay? Or in the third row. We don't want him making a glove save and, and hitting your steering wheel. Uh, good point. Like I thought that, you were going right? to say don't let him drive and use it at the same time either. But, no, uh, no. Wouldn't recommend that either. Yeah, wouldn't no, recommend no, that no. either. Use the force, right? Yeah, the, I think we'll probably Luca stop by the roadside the, and uh, and do it there. Probably not in the car, but you never oh, know. Oh, I want, I want pictures. I want some spectacular backdrops. Did we ever publish the pictures of me, me and Tofino with the waves crashing behind me? We're gonna have to. We're gonna oh, have to. We, breathe. we have to think about that contest. We might have to spark something here. We we sort of talked about it a few years ago. Pandemic kicked in, but I'm curious to see all the places that people use sensoring around the world. Like probably like think about it. If you're a goalie and you go away with your parents on vacation for two weeks to some crazy place, but you're like, man, I got to try out when I come back. I got camp when I come back. I want to stay sharp with my skills. Folks, are you pulling it out in some crazy spots? Send us pictures. Let us know. We're going to have to formalize this. Check out our social media channels. We'll get on top of this in the coming weeks. And it lets parents to go on those trips uh, and not have to worry about where the, the kids are still getting into uh, some some training. So it helps often that uh, blow or concern a, a little bit. Uh, somebody that never took a backseat to anybody, uh, Kimberly Newell, uh, what an amazing uh, journey she has been on uh, from a little person to now a professional goaltender. But uh, the way she broke into the game and uh, the Olympics and now professional goaltending, uh, wow. And Princeton are right in the mix of it. You guys know that, and we, we talk about this a lot. Like, I'm a big fan of no stone unturned goaltenders goalies that will find any type of advantage they can to try and get better. And it's a delicate balance sometimes. Some sometimes you can chase things too much rather than sort of sort of getting your foundation and sticking with it. Man, I think Kimberly Newell sets a new standard and has found that balance right up to the Olympic level with China with all the different things that she's tried from a development standpoint. Um, some of the tools that she's using, some of the exploration she's done in terms of mindset training, physical training. Um, I was blown away 
We probably could have done another hour and a half. Uh, this is a doozy, folks, but it is loaded. And I mean loaded, not just with insights, but some great stories. It's, she was yeah. so good with the insights that I buried the lead. Like the story, and you have to stick around to listen to it, of how her four-year pursuit of playing in the Olympics almost was derailed two and a half months beforehand. And the way she went about making sure it didn't, like is both inspiring and a lesson for so many. Uh, The mindset that went into it, and it's all sort of encompassing, like all the, you know, right down to the car rides with dad. And the way they used to, the questions he used to ask her to get her into the right mindset, the work she's done with sports psychologists. Like, I don't want to give too much away. And yet I'm like, like, folks, you have to listen to this interview. Kimberly Newell and the way she approaches the game, you know, frankly, this is somebody who I wouldn't be at all surprised if in the coming years as she continues to explore these things, like if I'm an NHL team and I'm looking to get tools around my goaltenders and expose them to different things. Kimberly Newell is somebody I'm seeking out, absolutely, because she's already taken that path and could probably bring a lot of knowledge outside the box while still understanding what goes on inside the box um, that would help a lot of goaltenders. So yeah, it was it was fascinating. I enjoyed it. It's a fantastic conversation, folks. Make sure you stick around right till the end because, man, that story heading into the Olympics is something else, inspiring, uh, remarkable, and also loaded full of examples of things you can do to make sure you stay on track when everything around you, kind of like Hutch coming to the hockey shop off the ferry with Kevin texting about missing teeth right. and going to be late. Um, ignore the chaos and focus on what's next. Keeping your wits uh, with you as there's chaos around you. Uh, get tiger by the tail. It's Kimberly Newell with Kevin Woodley brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Really excited to welcome to the Ingoal Radio Podcast, first-time guest, Kimberly Newell, uh, fresh off playing in the Olympics in China for China, but originally from here in Vancouver, and that's where we're catching up today. Uh, She's a graduate uh, of Princeton, so smarter than me, obviously. Uh, And she also runs Empower Hockey or helps run Empower Hockey, a development school here in the lower mainland of Vancouver. Um, There are so many... We've had a little conversation leading into this. My brain is jumping with all the ideas from your career path. But let's let's go back to the beginning as we often do and let our audience get to know you a little bit. How'd you become a goalie? How'd you fall in love with the position? First off, thanks so much for having me, Kevin. And uh, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Burnaby and played boys hockey pretty much all the way up until I went to college. And um, my older brother also played, and that's kind of how I was thrown into it by my parents, just by virtue of convenience. Um, But I fell in love with the sport, and uh, my mom has a funny story. When I was when I was a kid, she put me into figure skating, and she always wanted to dress me up and, um, you know, do my hair nice and, and put me out on the ice. And she's like, why do you want to play hockey? You're going to put all this gear on and no one can see you. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly why I want to do that. <laughs> um, but there was, a, there was one day I actually saw a, um, a goalie session and my brother was practicing on the other rink. So I was waiting for him to finish watching these goalies and something about it just sparked my interest and I was 
fascinated by the gear, by the movements, and I was obsessed. I begged my parents, please let me be a goalie. Please let me be a goalie. How old would you have been at this point? Do you remember? I was like seven or eight. I was really young. And my parents were like, no, absolutely not. My dad had been a goalie growing up, actually. And so he was like, we don't want that pressure of you being in the net, you know, playing the whole game and being all um, stressed out in the stands. And my mom was like, well, I don't want you getting shot, like shot at by pucks. <laughs> this is crazy. But I was really um, insistent. And uh, eventually they were like, OK, OK, we'll, we'll let you try it. Um, so my first game, we're going on the ice. It's, uh, it's this a spring team that I was on and we were playing against like the best team in the area and everyone knew that we were going to lose, but me being a little kid, my first time playing goalie and going on the ice, so excited and I get peppered with shots, absolutely destroyed <laughs> and we lose like eight nothing. And my mom is like, oh gosh. She's going to she's going to hate being goalie. She's never going to want to play again. And as I'm getting off the ice, she comes up to me. She goes, uh, Kim, are you OK? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And she's like, oh, you still you still want to play goalie? And I'm like, yeah, I love playing goalie. <laughs> that is awesome. And probably a mindset that has served you well since, I would imagine, like the ability to because I. You know, kind of jumping ahead here a little bit, but I'm guessing like y- you have to sort of you have to sort of want to be that person that's at that last like embrace that pressure, embrace that spotlight, embrace all the things that our parents don't want to have to deal with when they have a young goaltender in net. Yeah, and I think fundamentally that is a memory that I have often come back to throughout my professional career. I think what happens a lot of times as we grow up we lose that spark. We lose that intrinsic enjoyment of the game. And, you know, the thing about that is it's not logical. You can't like point to something and be like, this is why I love hockey. You just love it as a kid. But then when you grow up, there's all these external expectations, external pressures to win, to perform. And especially as a goalie, it's very asymmetrical, right? Like you think about what save percentage you'd need to have to be a competitive goalie. And the reality is, is like, okay, I can only let in like one out of 18 shots to even be in the running. Right. And so you think about that. It's like, you're, if you stop a shot, it's like, okay, that was expected. If you let in a goal, that's kind of a big deal, right? That's a big problem. Um, and so that striving for perfectionism can make the mental game extremely, extremely difficult for goalies. And so on kind of, we'll talk about my journey, but like as I got older, went through college hockey, that was something that I really struggled with. And coming to play pro hockey, I had to really think back, why did I start playing in the first place? It was me, it was not my parents. No one pushed me to play hockey. No one pushed me to be a goalie. I asked for it, I wanted to play. And so I had to really like go back and dig deep and think about, okay, where is that? And do I still have that? And I think that, and I've talked to other people about this, anyone who's gone on that journey of rediscovery will always find that like deep down, it's still there. 
it's just over the years and with all of all the things that have happened, all these external expectations and pressures, it can get buried pretty deep. And so you really have to, you really have to search for it, I would say. Okay. So one of the things that you said originally that, that drew you to the position, like you couldn't quite put your finger on it the way they moved, but one element, and I was going to say this for the end, but a lot of people are going to recognize it right away. But one element was the gear. And so I wonder, because of course, your gear might have been one of the top sets we've seen at the Olympics, might have been one of the top sets. And shout out to Brian's and Chris Joswiak and his crew, I'm guessing, that helped you put that together. Um, one of the top sets we've seen in a number of years, like just like fantastic stuff. Was that part of that? Like, is that going back to the roots of the have fun and, and like wearing some of those roots of, of, expressionism and that and that ability to do that within your gear like is that going back and looking back at those roots or am i w- reading way too much into a cool set of gear at the olympics well first of all thank you um i did Killer honestly set. didn't Killer expect set. i honestly did expect uh the reaction um to my set that people had i when i was designing the set i was just thinking about what i wanted to represent what it meant to me and I think that's a really interesting connection you made, but I think it's so true. I went too far. <laughs> I wouldn't say too far. I would say maybe you you uh, articulated something that I haven't yet realized about myself. Um, and, and I think fundamentally, the gear really is an expression of yourself, but more so the team. Like to me, it was about the team. It was about the country that I was representing and my heritage. Something that like, I didn't really like, have much chance growing up to really dive into and be a part of. And obviously my mom, my mom's Chinese, so I have Chinese heritage, uh, but my dad is Canadian. And so I grew up learning a little bit of Chinese. I grew up visiting my Chinese relatives, but I didn't really speak Chinese. I didn't really get a chance to connect with them. Most of them didn't speak English very well, uh, especially my grandfather. And so I spent three years at Princeton studying Mandarin. And let me tell you, it was not easy. I pretty much went to class every single day. And on top of that, I would spend at least an hour or two in the evening studying, practicing characters. And it was a grind. But Princeton has the the number one Chinese program in the country. And I learned a lot. So when I got the chance to go to China and play hockey there, um, it really meant a lot to me. And it also gave me the chance to go visit my Chinese grandfather, which I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, at the end of my, my first season, on the way home, instead of going straight home, I decided to go to a city called Hangzhou, where my grandfather was living at the time, and go visit him for you know half a week. And that was such a great decision. Um, we spent like a lot of time together. I got to speak to him in Chinese and he was so excited. Now that I could understand Mandarin, he was talking nonstop, <laughs> just telling me all these things, all these stories, teaching me about Chinese culture. Um, in Mandarin, they have these like expressions that are, that are very deep in the culture um, and have like long history. And so he would tell me all these, ex- all these sayings and explain the meaning to me. And at the end of that, I came away just feeling super grateful to have had the opportunity to connect with him like that. Um, and at the time, 
I didn't know this, but uh, he would pass away a year later. So it's it's all right. But he, that was the last time I would ever see him. And I think that just made everything that much more meaningful um, to just really make the most of the moment and like just appreciate it. So the gear itself and what you designed was an expression of that. Yeah. The process of getting to go and back and design it maybe. That was the, there's your fun, there's my fun, tidy roots. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think, I think even, I think even at, you know, guys in the National Hockey League level, like there are some that still just love to, they, they doodle, uh, you know, on, um, I mean, obviously yours has a lot deeper meaning, but the process of getting to go do it and design it is something that sort of brings out that kid at Christmas for a lot of, a lot of people still. Yeah, for sure. It definitely does. And I think to me, it was, it was that there's just this image in my head when I thought of China and when I thought of my Chinese heritage. Gold dragon on red. I was like, here we go. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. A um, couple of things you talked about earlier, figure skating. And obviously, because you had to ask to go in goal and you were already playing, you were already obviously playing out. Um, those are two themes that we've seen over the years. I mean, you ended up being a goalie by seven or eight, like you said. Uh, but, but two themes that we've seen over the years for goalies that reach a really high level um, that ability to sort of process and read the game from having played it at other positions a little longer. But also, I'm guessing the figure skating, like skating and edge work and that type of stuff, those aren't bad things to have when you're inside the crease. Or did you not stick with figure skating for very long? I actually didn't stick with figure skating. Okay. I, was, I was not very good. <laughs> Once again, I'm reading, too, I'm reading too much into it. But uh, just playing out. like so, so walk us through your experience. You decide to go on goal. You get shelled your first game, but you still love it. Yeah. The path from there through minor hockey. You said you played against boys, um, competitive teams growing up, coaching, influences. Um, were you somebody that had to learn on your own by watching other goalies and mimicking them? Did you have access to goalie coaches? At what point did that sort of process start? Because for a lot of people, like that's, that's sort of a new thing, right? Like goalie coaches at a young age. Um, you know, it's, this, is, this is only in the last little while that that's become more common. I started working pretty early on with um, Sean Murray okay. from Performance, yeah. and he's been the biggest influence, I would say, on my game. Um, I worked with him pretty much my entire minor hockey career, and um, yeah, he's great. I, I respect him a lot, and I think it's interesting now looking back to see, um, in retrospect, as a coach, how as I've grown with him, he's also grown as a goalie coach, um, and I think that's really great to see how like obviously the game evolves really quickly and as as a coach you need to always be continuously learning and so i think he always brought something new every single year he would go and learn from other coaches and go to the conferences and and bring something back and i i appreciate how he would share it in a way where it's not like you need to do it this way it was always hey here's a tool and this is the situations and why you would use it in those situations and how and now it's up to you to use it to your best advantage. Now that you're trans, now that you're doing some coaching, transitioning into coaching role, or doing coaching as well as playing, um, is that a philosophy that you embrace? Well, when you're working with kids, like the the concept of we, we hear it a lot, tools in the toolbox, as opposed to, or even not so much do it this way, as opposed to if you do it this way, here's why or how it might help. Here's how it puts you in this position earlier, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. And I'd even take it a step further where not just being a tool, it's like options. So the way I look at it, it's like, okay, you have a situation. What are all of your options in this situation? If you only have one answer, why don't you have more, right? There's not just one way to do it. And I think that's where 
you get goalies who are very technically sound, very structured, but can't adapt. And I think that's for me, a keyword being adaptable. And so when I look at a situation, immediately I can think of at least two, three, four, even five different ways that I could play that situation all effectively, but understanding, and this is where I think you get to the next level and you're understanding the game where it's like, okay, if I use option one in this situation, what are the pros and cons versus option two versus option three? And they're all going to be slightly different. And there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. Now, there are clearly more effective and less effective options, but usually there's at least two, maybe three options that are roughly par in effectiveness that just have different pros and cons. And so then you think at higher levels, okay, you take a more meta level where you think about what is my style and how does that option fit into my style? So then when you look at it that way, okay, maybe out of the two options, you would pick one over the other. As you let's walk sort of through minor hockey and on the road to Princeton, that obviously is something that you've developed now. Um, coming to that philosophy, like walk me through sort of that path, working with Sean and working up, and how you end up at Princeton and how your game amongst those options and which one to pick. How did it evolve? Like you're coming through at a time when you know reverse VH was just being sort of introduced to North America. That's one of the most common. Easiest ones for me to pick out as you know a technique that was new, but we've seen so many other adaptations over the years. You know, tracking mechanics, movement mechanics. Um, sometimes the the goal position being broken down uh, on video almost to the degree you would break down a golf swing. Um, you've probably been through a lot of those processes. How how did your game develop as you were exposed to all those different options and picking the right ones for you? How, how, how would you describe Kimberly New as a goalie now? And how is that different from, say, five or 10 years ago? Very, very, very different, honestly. Um, it, well, the game evolves so fast, we have to, don't we? Yeah, for sure. And I think the, the one technique I remember being introduced um, was the VH. So, okay, I didn't yeah. know. See, I, was trying to, <laughs> so I was trying to look at timelines. I'm like, okay, I'm doing the math here. Which, yeah, VH, okay, yeah, okay, okay. I, I like that you're underestimating my age here. Thank you. <laughs> Um, that was introduced, I think when I was in high school and I remember thinking, okay, this is kind of weird, but, um, we'll give it a shot. And then when I was in college, that was kind of where, when the, the RVH was, was really coming out in full force. And I think, again, it's just being adaptable and like understanding that, well, first of all, you want, you, you have to try it, right? You have to see, okay, I need to understand how this works. I need to get good at it. And then I need to see how to integrate it. But that's, that's with anything. I would say the other big influence on my minor hockey career was my dad. He grew up in seminar, uh, had played goalie uh, throughout minor hockey. Um, and to be honest, I don't actually know where he got a lot of the stuff that he would tell me, but he just had a really great approach to the mental side of the game. He would always drive me to my games and we had this little ritual where he would he would ask me these these questions kind of like like a pump up and um he'd be like who's the greatest and i'd go i am <laughs> who's the greatest and just to kind of you know like almost like a positive affirmation and then he'd go like what's the most important shot the next one what's the most important shot the next one and and it became my mantra and that was something that i think always stuck with me if a goal went in if i didn't feel like i was quite on 
I would always come back to that same thought of just focus on the next shot, just focus on the next shot. And I had this reset routine that I would do on the ice where on a whistle, after a goal, even after a save, I would either go out, tap the boards, come back, tap my post. But to me, it was, it wasn't so much about staying warm or the movement. To me, it was resetting my mind so that when I got back in the net, if a goal went in, what goal? And I'm just focused on that next shot. Nothing else matters. At the end of the day, you can't control what happened in the past. You also can't control, you know, what's going to happen later on in the game or the next game. All you can control is what you're doing right now and how you're going to stop that next shot. I've had that discussion right up to some of the best goalies in the world. The next shot mentality. It's funny, golf too. I always golf and goaltending, right? It's all about the next shot. (laughs) It's the easiest thing to say. But sometimes it's the hardest thing to do. I love that you started developing that mindset and learning or teaching yourself techniques to get to it. I love that it was in the car ride because we have a lot of goalies that listen to this podcast on the way to the rink with their parents. We get that feedback a ton. I think there are going to be a lot of them going through that. What's the, the your routine that you just described with your dad is going to be added to a lot of car rides. I absolutely love that. Any other tidbit, any other like any other of those questions and affirmations you need to share here cuz I like I guarantee you there are parents going here. I like this. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I have a couple more things I think would be helpful. So, first off, this is something I started doing in my pro career. I actually worked with a mental skills coach and there there are a series of I guess you could say keywords that represent what like my personal truths. What 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 I what I'm embodying when I'm at my optimal. And so I cr- I've created positive affirmations on those. And the way that I want to feel, what is a mind state that I want to be in and what are things that I want to do when I'm playing my best. And those are the positive affirmations that I say to myself. For example, like I'll say I'm sharp, right? Sharp to me, meaning quick. Um, I also think that I play better when I'm in a more aggressive mindset. So I think I'm aggressive, right? Other things kind of more abstract will be like, uh, to me, it's very important to feel connected to my teammates and to the goal that we're striving for. So I'll say I'm connected. I'm connected to my team. I'm connected to my teammates. Uh, that's a more emotive level to think about things. For example, another teammate uh, who went through the same program with me, one thing that's important to her is to feel um, valued. So I'm a valuable member of this team. I'm a valuable player, right? Uh, Those are fundamental truths that people carry around that if you feel the opposite, you might not even know, you might not even be aware of it right? If I'm feeling disconnected, right? I'm not going to feel like I can play optimally. My body's going to, my mind and my body's going to hold myself back because I'm protecting myself. But if I feel connected, now it's ready to release that energy and just go out there and and perform. So those keywords, like, do you walk, like, do you have like, like, are they We've seen we've seen goalies put keywords on pieces of equipment as reminders, but that's probably more of an in-game reset tool. Sometimes it's a blocker, sometimes it's a stick. How do you 
Like, is there a process by which you come back to them or are they just in your mind? Because sometimes it can be stay a little abstract when it's just something in the back of your mind versus like, say, having it written down and going through a list. Like, how did you come back to those words and try and connect to those emotions, say, before a game or, or was it a, like a daily thing or a before a game thing? How did you use those, those words to get you, help you be prepared to play? Uh, for me, I found the most effective way was to actually write them down. I'd write them out on my phone before every single game. Um, and I think that process um, of typing it out anew, even though I have it in my mind, like I can go through it in my mind or I can have a piece of paper where it's already written. But that actual process of typing it out, I think really forces me to really live it. Like I'm not just writing words. Right. If I write something down, but I don't truly feel it, it's not going to have any effect. It's not going to feel authentic. I think that's the key. It's like these key words or key phrases you really have to identify with and you really have to resonate with. That resonating with that word of like, I'm connected to me, that really resonates. And I feel that it actually shifts my mind state to a place that I want to be when I'm playing. And that's the key is you have to find the words. And this is really difficult. Like I was going to say, that, what, how, what, what was the process like to get to the point where you, like it's one thing, like connected, for example, is a word, like we all want to feel connected to something. Yeah. But how did you get to the point where you knew that was what was important to you that got you to a state where you play your best? I'm guessing there were a lot of back and forth with the mental skills coach to get to that point. It's a deep dive into the unconscious. Okay. Yeah. I, there's, there's no easy way to because reach if you're that. Because yeah. if you're just sort of picking words that you think are good, like then it doesn't have... like These are truly... like I can tell as you, as you speak them, they're truly meaningful words to you reaching your peak performance state, I'm guessing. Yeah. I would say the easiest place to start would start with something um, more physical. So for example... Um, what's your style as a goaltender and taking those keywords. So for me, like I said, sharp. I, I think playing sharp, I'm sharp, I'm aggressive. Uh, another one I like to say is I'm um, talking to my D like I, if I'm more vocal, I'm being engaged in the game. Um, that helps me to really play my best. Things like that is a great place to start. So start with the things that are more tangible. And then I think as you get to the more sort of emotive slash elements that are more core to your being, that's where you really need to work with someone who understands how that works and to dive deeper. Like these, like the, the, what I'm saying where I'm connected, that's, that is the outermost one for me. Like that's, that's like surface level, <laughs> right? So as you get deeper, it's like, these things are like fundamental to who you are as a person and what makes you tick both in a positive way as in you're, you're feeling great and you're performing, but also in a negative way where it's like you're getting triggered and now you're, you're retreating into yourself to protect yourself. And that's when you're, gonna, you're not going to play well. Can we give a shout out to, your, to the skills coach that helped you get there? Yeah, uh, through oh, for KRS? sure. Like um, I, I worked with her twice, actually. Um, once initially with her um, full program. And then the second time, actually, as I was recovering from my broken ankle, which... We'll it's get a to. good story we'll get yeah. to. Yeah. I, I, like, there's so much good stuff here. I can't believe I've actually, we're, we're 26 minutes in and I haven't gotten your Olympic experience or the fact that it almost never happened because you broke your ankle a few months yeah. before. But let's give her um, a mention. Yeah. So it's uh, Jane Hunley. She uh, has a company called Impact Management um, and she's based in Seattle, but does 
um, online uh, high performance and leadership coaching. Nice. I uh, like that's Super that's a name that I think there's a lot of uh, there's some there's some NHL people that listen to their this podcast that might be searching and bookmarking She's that great. name right now. She's great. The, the I love way her. you connected there, like just yeah, you could tell like not not everybody gets to be in the room as we're having this conversation and see it, but you could see the emotions that you connect with those words. I think that's amazing. Um, so from a career standpoint, we kind of we're, we're moving moving into Princeton. How did you? How did that opportunity come about? Were there other opportunities? Was that a tough choice? Because I mean, every I mean, it's Ivy League, but there's also a lot of pressure and work. You talked about how hard it was and the amount of work you put into to learning Mandarin there. You know, like not everybody wants to work that hard at school. Yeah, raise his hand. Um, <laughs> you know, like so. What what was that process like? How did those opportunities start to present themselves to you? And I guess maybe to reel it back a bit, was it always against boys leading up to that? Or were there were there points as you grew up at, and before Princeton where you had to make decisions on women's teams versus boys' teams as well? I did play in a couple showcases on the women's side, but I played boys all the way up. Um, and my last year, I actually played uh, on the Kootenai Major Midget team, which was pretty fun. But I, I, I think... The girl side of the game here has really grown so much where like when I was growing up, it was me and maybe one or two other girls who were playing at all, like in the entire region. But now there's there's hundreds of girls. So much um, like VH and RVH, the options that exist now yeah. are, are not that they, <laughs> exactly. don't, they don't reflect your reality at the time. Exactly. Um, and so when I, I was looking at schools, you know, my parents really emphasize education. Um, and I think that on the women's side of the game, especially Hockey is a great vehicle to getting a great education. So I was trying to decide between Cornell and Princeton. Um, and my parents are just like, whichever one you pick, we're happy. I think, <laughs> well, I think well, those are the two options. I think most parents are happy. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like the vibe at Princeton better. And at the end of the day, I was like, you don't know until you go. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to Princeton. <laughs> um. Pressures change. You talked about that earlier as you, you know, like as the game becomes more, I guess in college, I don't want to say it's a job, but certainly it's a responsibility to perform at a certain level when you get, you know, when you go to a school like that, um, you know, where the layers added on top of that buried original joy. Um, How'd you handle that? How'd you manage that? What was your experience like there in terms of balancing the expectations of now being a college hockey player with, you know, sort of also a ton of workload on school and wanting to make sure you made the most of the education opportunity. Like that's not an easy task. How did you, how did you find that sort of athlete student balance and the expectations that come with a program like that? Yeah, I think that, um, Princeton in particular is a very rigorous, uh, educational institution, uh, even compared to the other Ivy leagues. Um, I have friends and, and my brother went to Harvard, like Princeton is by far the most difficult, the most rigorous in terms of workload. Um, so it was definitely a challenge. And I think that that was something that I struggled with and that a lot of people struggled with. I think that when I talk about external pressures, uh, I experienced a lot of that um, where I felt we were kind of like a middle, middle of the pack team when I first got there. And I definitely felt the pressure that I had to play not just good, not just great, but amazing to win a game, period. And even then, it might not be enough. Um, and I think that's what makes goaltending such a high-pressure position where you could steal the game, but can you do that every single time? 
obviously not, right? And that's kind of where I think about people see your amazing performance and they go, wow, that was really great. Okay, now can you do that every time? That's and that's the challenge you, of being a goalie, right? Yes, and that's, but that's where you run into problems with the mental side of the game because now you're expected to play outstanding every single time. And by definition, if you played outstanding, that's not your average game, right? So you're setting yourself up. You sort up, of raise your own bar. Right. The expectation, you're setting yourself up for failure in your mind because you're expecting yourself to play at a certain level that by definition is only going to happen once in a while. So most of the time in your mind, you're going to be failing. Even though other people from the outside looking in will be like, wow, like you're so successful. You're going to Ivy League. You're playing competitive hockey and all these things. But to yourself, you feel like you're failing. And so you see these elite athletes. To me, I'm not surprised when elite athletes talk about mental health problems because I've been there and it sucks, but it makes complete sense. It's not a mystery. Like these athletes expect themselves to be setting world records, to be stealing games. And obviously you can't do that every single time. And so now it's like the one time you do, it's like, okay, you met expectations and it's a relief. You're not actually happy. You're just, okay, whew, I did it. But then the rest of the time, you're just falling short. That's, that's a tough way. Like yeah, you're being pretty hard on yourself there, no? Like, is that, like that's a tough way to look at it. But if that's your mindset, how did you learn to manage it? So at the time, I, I survived. I would, I'm being perfectly honest. I survived. I figured out how to um, just... On the outside, I was doing well, but on the inside, I was struggling, right? And so that disconnect became a big question mark for me. I didn't understand what was happening. And I think a lot of people don't trust what their body and their minds are telling them when the external pressures are so great. So you can't fully... You can't fully be authentic and you can't fully be engaged in things when you're having that disconnect. So for me, I had to, when I came back to pro hockey, that was my number one question in my mind was, how do I resolve this problem? How do I resolve this disconnect? Because it's possible. And that's where I look back at me playing as a kid and I think, okay, that's still there. How do I rediscover that? Because somewhere along the way, it got lost. And it's not a small, it's not a small issue. It's not a small problem. This is a huge, a huge question that I felt like, obviously, you know, going to play in the Olympics, playing pro hockey, getting the chance to travel the world are all amazing um, experiences and opportunities. But I think a fundamental motivation for me was like, this is something that I want to figure out both as a hockey player, but also as a person. Because even if you go to other arenas of life... I was going to ask, there's probably ed- like pressure of education as well and performance there. Like There's probably... This applies to other things, I guess is what I'm trying 100%, to say poorly. 100%. I had classmates at Princeton who weren't athletes who like took a year off or... I even had one friend who had to drop out because the pressures were so great that it was really affecting like their mental health. 
And so this is not just about hockey anymore, being a goalie. This is about life. Like, how do you deal with the pressures, the external pressures of life? Um, and that's where I got to experience some of that. After college, when I graduated, um, I didn't have any plans to play professional hockey and I didn't expect to. I actually uh, stopped playing and I got a job in finance for two years. So I worked the corporate life and guess what? There's tons of external pressures there too, right? Different setting, different arena, but same, same external pressures that you have to figure out how to manage. Same level of disconnect between outside perception and how you felt internally? Um, or was that unique or more unique or more dis- decided or, or more obvious in hockey? It was definitely more... Um, I didn't use the right word there probably. Yeah, I would say that disconnect was much more salient when I was playing hockey, partially because you had that strong physical aspect, right? And and you, you hear this a lot about toughing through injuries, disregarding pain. One of the big things that I've learned is pain is not an indication of injury. Pain is an indication of danger. So pain is a signal that, hey, there's, there's something wrong here. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pain's not telling you, oh, you're weak. Or pain's not telling you, oh, stop doing this. It's saying, hey, something's going on here. Like that uh, engine light in your car. Maybe you should check your engine. We don't know if something's wrong, but there could be something really wrong. So maybe like take a look. Right. That's what pain is. And so when we think about pushing through pain, yes, you can do it. And you can, and I had to do that with my ankle injury, but I understood what I was doing and the trade-offs that come with that or, or more so the risks, the risks of doing that. But when we say, oh, just ignore the pain, just push through it, what you're teaching people is don't listen to your body. Don't listen to what your body is telling you. And when you do that consistently, what happens is um, your body stops talking to you. The pain goes away. The pain, it doesn't hurt anymore. Okay, but the problem's still there. It's just you didn't listen. So now it gave up trying to tell you that there's a problem, right? Like you think about, um, you think about health, right? Nutrition is super important. If you go have a couple of drinks, you wake up the next day, you probably feel a little, you know, okay, you feel okay. You have a few more drinks and you keep doing that and you keep doing that. And eventually you get to a point where, oh, I can have, you know, six drinks and I feel fine the next day. Well, any doctor could tell you you're still damaging your liver, even though you feel fine the next day. Your body's just not sending you the same signal it was the first time. Right. You didn't listen. So the body's like, all right, well, I'm just going to adapt so that I'm minimizing the damage done to the body, but you're just going to continue to do this. So that same thing applies to the, that disconnect, ment- the mental side of things as well? Yeah. So mentally, it's the same thing. If you're feeling uh, triggered, like for example, the big one for me is connected, disconnected. If I'm feeling disconnected and I'm living there, but I'm not aware of it, right? There'll be things that are happening that I don't know why I can't perform here. I don't know why I'm feeling this here, right? It doesn't make sense given what's happening around me, but it makes perfect sense. I just didn't listen. So when we're feeling a certain way, like there's a lot about 
I talk about there's positive positives, negative positives. Positive negatives and negative negatives. Everyone wants to be happy all the time. Everyone wants to be positive, right? Positive energy, positive energy, positive energy. No one wants a downer. Okay. But then the reality is people have negative emotions. So then what do you do about it? Do you ignore it and just try to forcibly be positive? That's the disconnect. Now you're being inauthentic. You're not fully recognizing those negative emotions. So they're, they're actually going to sit there. They're not going anywhere just because you ignored it. If anything, they're going to get stronger and they're going to lodge in there and be like, hey, pay attention to me. I'm here. So what do you do? There's something called a positive negative. So you take those negative emotions and you just recognize them. You say, hey, you're there. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling disappointed. I'm feeling sad. But you don't have to make a judgment about it. You have to feel, if you're saying, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be frustrated here. I shouldn't be sad here. Now you're adding shame and guilt onto it. So you're trying to reject it. But if you just say, hey, I'm sad because of this, and you understand it, and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm sad. And you just feel your emotion. That's a positive negative. Okay. What and about now, the, what about the ones you can't figure out? Well, that's where the awareness comes in. Because a lot of times you don't know what you're feeling. And right. there might be multiple. Or you know what you're feeling, but you don't know why. But you don't Does know that why. Yeah. That's fine too, right? Like if you're sad and you're like, I'm not quite sure why I'm sad. A lot of times it's because uh, something happened or maybe just something bigger in life. Or it might even be something small, but you didn't acknowledge it in the moment. And so your brain can't remember exactly what it was, but it remembers the emotion. Like our emotions live in our bodies. Like for example, my ankle. Sometimes when, like, say my right shoulder is hurting, it's my ankle. So I give it some attention. So I'll do a little bit, like, massage, put some um, oil on it, whatever. My shoulder feels better. I mean, we certainly, I mean, we certainly, I mean, connections, we work with a lot of physios and stuff like that. Like, certainly direct connections uh, between different parts where, you know, Mm -hmm. shoulders, neck, and things like that. But is that same type of thing? Like, you're... Is it a, like a direct physical link between the two or is this more yeah, of a... Yeah, well, it's cross-body, but it's also like associative, Okay. right? Like the first thing I always think of is if, I, if I'm having some sort of issue with my body or even like an emotional thing that I don't know the cause of, it's probably the ankle because I broke the ankle and I have a plate in there, right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the source of the biggest trauma in my body. So acknowledging that and just paying attention to that and, and that alone, a lot of times is enough to process it in a way that allows you to move forward in a positive way. You're taking something that's negative and by acknowledging it and understanding it, if you can, or just simply being aware of it, it becomes a positive negative. Matt. I feel like we're gonna need you're gonna need to invoice all our listeners here for like a, a like a therapy session here because there's so mu- there's so much here that I'm kind of connecting to. Um, and I love it, um, but I want I want to switch back a little. This is all connected to hockey, but switch back a little bit because I want to talk about the story and the ankle and also the two years off because you mentioned it. Like you went to the Olympics, you played four years pro with KRS in China, one in the CWHL, one in the league in Ru- or three in the league in Russia, and then you go to the Olympics. But the process of getting there was not necessary. Like you said, a straight line. You finished Princeton and you took two years 
and when it worked in finance. Two-part question, because I'm famous for stupidly long questions. A is, did you miss it while you were gone, the game? And then B, maybe follow up by telling us how you ended up back in it. The story behind how you ended up in China, how you ended up playing professional hockey two years removed from Princeton. Yeah. So after college, uh, I moved to New York City, worked in finance for two years. And it was weird not playing hockey, not even being around the ice rink. Like there's I think there's maybe like two ice rings or something. Not much. Yeah, in Manhattan. (laughs) It's pretty scarce. Um, And so that was a huge, weird adjustment for me to go from being literally on the ice every single day my entire life to, okay, there's not even a rink anywhere near you. Did did you miss like, because I guess there would be, I, I don't know, depends on the nature of the job, like how much teamwork would be involved in it. Did you miss the team environment? Did you miss the specifics of goalies and goalie training and being like, what did you miss the most? I think a big part of what I missed was just the game. Like I think playing in games, like there's something about um, that whole like cycle of like the practices and leading up and mentally preparing the day of and um, this peak experience of performance and win or lose, right? Like you're, you're putting yourself out there that you don't really get so much when you're in a corporate role. I think maybe the closest thing might be if you were to give like a speech or a presentation. presentation, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that would be quite similar. And I actually just did a Ted talk a couple of weeks ago. Oh, we're going to have to, we're going to have to get the link (laughs) so we can put that in the show notes. Yeah. It's going to come out in in a couple of months. I need to edit it and um, put it, post it up. But that that I would say is it was a pretty similar experience of of like the nerves, pretty, yeah, I imagine, and, and then just going on the stage. And when you're on there, you're just giving your speech, and it's almost very similar to when you're in a game and you're just you're playing, you're just playing, and all that preparation. You just have to trust your preparation. I I spent about like three months uh, writing the script, practicing delivery, and everything. Um, and at the first time that I had done a uh, presentation of that scale. Like, I think mine was about like 15 minutes long. So I had no idea how I would do. I was like, well, I spent three months on this. Like, I just need to trust that and just go out there and whatever happens, happens, but just do my best. And that's the same uh, approach that I take to hockey. And the approach that really helped me through work through the difficulties with my injury and 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 going to the Olympics right after that. Okay, so let's go about you. You're in finance. You how do you end up back in hockey? Well, it was a random phone call out of the blue. Just out of the blue phone out of the call. Blue. Phone call. Mind is not on hockey. Haven't thought about it, and all of a sudden, boom. Yeah, I got a call out of the blue from the head coach. Um, she goes, "We have a." professional hockey team in China. And I go, there's hockey in China? <laughs> what? <laughs> and she's like, yep. And we want you to come play and be the goalie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so it was completely unexpected. And I think that, you know, I'd been away from the game for two years, not expecting to play ever again, or at least not like competitively. Right. And here was a chance not just to play pro hockey, but to potentially go to the Olympics. Hello. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and, and 
a chance to connect, you know, at a different level with, with you, know, you talked about your grandpa and, and with, with your roots and your heritage. Yeah, that was a huge motivation for me. I think like, you know, I had a really good job. I'd, I was set up. Honestly, it was a bit of a dilemma for me because wow, look at what I'm giving up. And, and I'd already stopped playing hockey so that I could pursue this. And now I'm going to give this up to go back to hockey. So it was kind of a weird situation to be in. But I looked at why did I spend three years learning Mandarin to connect with my Chinese heritage, connect my Chinese family. And that's what I wanted to do. And honestly, my, my Mandarin right now is so much better than it ever would have been. Like living in China, there's no... No way to prepare yeah. for it. Yeah. Well, maybe to prepare, but there's no... Like that's the best life lesson in terms of yeah, how, how to actually speak it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so going into... Play, like you said, like the decision to go play pro, like like you had this career started and the state of the game for women's pro hockey, like that's... Your career was a better option financially than playing pro hockey... I would guess, not knowing, that would just be my assumption. I'm thinking finance in New York is probably a little more, um, has got a, at a got a higher arc than women's pro hockey in China. Was it the the Olympics too? Like as much as it was the like like the cultural side of things, the fact the Olympics were in China, but it's the Olympics. Like you're an Olympian. <laughs> there are not a lot of people in the world that get to say that. That's a pretty special thing. Yeah, it definitely was um, a big part of it. But I think going through those four years, one thing I always told myself is I need to take this experience for what it is, not what it could be. And I think that every, there were a lot of moments where I would always, I would kind of do this like mind experiment where I would look ahead and I would think, what if I didn't go to the Olympics? Because you never know, right? Like there's injury, there's um, politics involved. You, you have no idea what's going to happen four years down the line, three years down the line, right? Like as we're getting closer and closer. Right, there's no guarantees that the path ends in Beijing. Fundamentally in life, there's no guarantees. So what is this right now? And is this an experience that I am happy that I'm having? And if the answer is yes, then I keep going. If the answer is no, then it's time to reevaluate. And that was my approach where every single year I played pro hockey, if this was the last year I played hockey, would I be happy with decisions I made and with the experience that I've had. And every step along the way, when I asked myself that question, the answer was yes. And so I kept going. What a great approach. Um, first year, CWHL. Um, walk me through what that was like. Because you're playing, if I remember correctly, would come out and sort of barnstorm and then go back and train. Um, and maybe I've got that wrong. I'm just trying to go off, off memory here in terms of how this the, CW, the KRS team handled being in the CWHL. Walk me through that and what that was like. A lot of travel. Yeah, you, get, you got familiar <laughs> with airplanes. Yeah, we uh, our home base is in Shenzhen, which is in the south of China, like right by Hong Kong. And uh, I think it was fun for a lot of the other girls to come to China. Uh, they would come over for our home games um, and they would actually get to see a bit of the country, a bit of the city. Uh, so that was pretty fun. Uh, but we were traveling all the time. And you know, you can imagine going from China all the way to North America. I've made the, I've done Hong Kong to, to Canada a couple times back and forth <laughs> with my wife's family. And that takes a toll physically. And with all of our gear too. Right. Because we had to go over the border to Hong Kong and then fly out. Like it was a full, like minimum, minimum, like 25, 26 hour, like end to end journey, if not longer. Like there were some travel days I calculated, I was like, 
we're well over 30 hours right now and we're still not at the hotel. <laughs> what you didn't realize at the time is that's just basically preparing you to go to Toronto at this point of the, after the pandemic. It's the yeah. same thing. 30 yeah. hours just to get to like anywhere back east. Oh, I'm kidding. Um, sorry, Air Canada. I've, I've had some bad experiences lately. Um, uh, so what's that, what's that like? Like, like, how do you... Like, again, another... Where the challenge is both physical and mental. You're a professional athlete, but that's not a normal professional athlete development sort of step to have to be, spend 30 hours on a plane and, and come to North America, adjust your body to different time zones and get past all that travel and then go out and perform. So that's kind of where... Um... I learned a lot in terms of recovery and health. Um, and one of my teammates, uh, Rachel Lannis, she's a strength and conditioning coach as well. Uh, we've both sort of dived into uh, this area a ton. And we, we do a couple unorthodox things um, that have helped us deal with the travel, but also with living in a hotel pretty much for the entire season. Is there, can you share an example without yeah. giving everything away? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a niche, but it's it's. I think it's growing very rapidly. Um, the number one thing is uh, red light. So, uh, millions of years ago in the savanna, <laughs> we didn't have electricity. We didn't have light bulbs. We didn't have street lamps. We had fire. That was it, and the sun. So our bodies are tuned to sunlight and the different types of sunlight throughout the day. So in the morning, the types of um, wavelengths that you're receiving will be different than midday, than in the evening. And your body has these receptors that respond to that. So when you first wake up, go outside. Don't wear sunglasses. Get some sunrise sunlight on you. What does that do? It starts the clock. It's your circadian rhythm, okay? So that will kick off a series of hormonal reactions in your body that signals, okay, it's morning time, wake up. Then, if you can get as much sunlight throughout the day, um, our bodies are basically a battery. <laughs> There's something called um, easy water, which is created when sunlight hits your body. And it's basically a store of energy. So it's free energy, literally free energy. You go out in the sun, you're getting free energy. Then at sunset, the infrared light that you get from sunset, and this is where the infrared, therapy, uh, infrared light therapy that's uh, becoming more popular, that's technically what it's coming from. It's, okay. it's mimicking the infrared light from the sun at sunset that increases your melatonin production. So if you're getting blue light at night because you're turning on your lights, you're basically preventing yourself from going to sleep. And you're preventing yourself from recovering because your body's not going to start all those recovery processes because there's not enough melatonin. If you wake up in the middle of the night, it's because you don't have enough melatonin. So do you, the melatonin it obviously is a pretty common supplement that people use to manage. Like, I didn't know about red light therapy, um, but for sure, coming back and forth from whether we've gone to Europe or, or to Hong Kong, especially, especially coming back from that trip seemed to always kill me. Um, melatonin was part of the taking this. And that seems to be a pretty common thing for people that are dealing with jet lag. So is that a positive if you do it the right way? Um, not as I would say, the, not I would as say, light, but. I would say it's uh, on an ongoing basis. It's a crutch because when you take something like that, you're reducing your, um, 
your own melatonin production. But if you are in a situation where I just need this to get done right now, Try then again, it's, it's understanding like, like playing on a broken ankle. It's understanding the risks of it, right? And what you're trying to get out of it. It's a short-term versus long-term. But you have to understand that, right? There's a time and place to do that. But if you're t- thinking about red light, I personally have uh, not needed to do that because I control my light environment so that I don't even have that problem. So when I'm on a plane or I'm in an airport, right, I have my red light glasses on. I'm not allowing myself to take in all of that blue light that's going to completely destroy my body's uh, hormonal systems. That's way harder to recover from than any workout or any lost sleep. Like you lose a couple hours of sleep. Okay. Like, like, have you ever, have you ever gone to sleep like in the AM, 1am, 2am, gotten eight hours, woken up, felt like versus you go to sleep at 10 p.m., get eight hours, wake up at 6 a.m., feel amazing. Same eight hours. Yeah. Same eight hours. I think every, everybody can relate to completely that. Completely different. Yeah. But why? It's the same eight hours, isn't it? But it's Should not be. because of what's happening inside your body is completely different when you're looking at the hormones and when you're looking at what kind of light you're receiving. I'm going to play this clip back for my teenage daughter as soon as we <laughs> leave here. Try and see if I can get her up before noon. Um, I love that. How did things change your first year? You're doing all that travel playing CWHL. Your next three, you're based over there full time. You're playing over there. You're competing, I believe, in Russia against other Russia, teams yeah. in Russia. Um, what changes? Like now, as much as the challenges of travel, now the challenge is you're, you're full time. Like it's a different challenge. Like you're, you're, you're traveling in Russia, which actually can be multiple time zones as well. Um, but what, what was that experience like uh, being away from home for so long, like different types of challenges um, compared to the travel, but challenges nonetheless? Yeah. The new challenge was that um, in the CBHL, we were in North America half the time, which right. obviously is a familiar environment. And then we were in China the other half the time. And, you know, I can speak Chinese and that was kind of a big part of me wanting to play was to live in China. Right. Um, but now we're in Russia. Which is different. The Mandarin's not helping you as much. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that was where, um, you know, just had to go into it with an open mind. Here was another country, another culture, another language, a completely different league. Um, our first year, we were traveling between China and, and Russia. Um, and so, you know, I think that was a really interesting experience. And, you know, we, we went out and we saw things and, and, the level of play, I think, wasn't as high as the CBHL, but I think we were actually pleasantly surprised. Like it was, it was pretty good. Like, like I have to give it to them. Like it's a, it's a well-run league. They, they play a bit of a different style of hockey, but pass, it's pass, 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 and then pass yeah. again. Yeah, it sounds like what I heard from that echoes the, on the men's side too. <laughs> they're gonna pass. They're not gonna shoot. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. And then they're gonna dust it off and pass it another three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard that. Yeah. But there are things as a goalie that you can take from that that can become a positive patience and and those types of oh elements. for sure for sure. Um, and then our second year, you know, COVID happened. We actually were based in Russia full time, so that was a whole new challenge. We were. You lost that China connection that you were after. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we didn't go back to China for the last two years until 
literally we went there for the Olympics. Um, we were based in Russia the entire time. Did that get harder? You know, you the question you kept asking yourself at the end of each year. Did the answers get a, that get a little tougher as you're based there, as opposed because you've lost that experience, you've lost that ability to connect to the roots for yeah, those two years. Yeah, it was definitely really tough, and I think that you know, obviously, all the COVID restrictions made that way more difficult. Uh, I think as we got close to the Olympics, that became a bigger and bigger part Finish of line, yeah. me trying to you know push through and and. At the end of the day, again, it's back to that mindset of like just taking it day by day. That was honestly, if there's one takeaway I can say from this experience playing pro hockey, it's day by day because your schedule, you don't have a routine. Every day is different. You're traveling all over the place. And it's really, you really have to focus on what it is that you're doing in the moment and get trying to get the most out of it. Otherwise, you're not going to make If You're looking like a month ahead, year ahead, two years ahead. You're, you're not going to last, right? Because yeah. you're, you're just you're 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 exerting energy on things that you you have no control over. Right. Just you have to focus on what you can control and what you can't control. You just have to let go of that. Otherwise, it's going to drag you down. And it's going to take all your energy. And it's also going to make the experience not enjoyable because you're worrying about that. You're or you're or you're not happy about it. So you get closer to that finish line, that goal, the Olympics. I don't know, say November, just a few months away. And you're playing hacky sack as a cool down. And you snap your ankle pretty badly. What are the emotions? How'd you get back so quick? What, like, how'd you manage that? Like, I, like there, there had to be a point there where emotionally, like that had to feel devastating at some point. Or did you just go right into solving a problem? How how do you, how did you manage that? Because you're when you told me that you broke your ankle as badly as you did in November, my brain started spinning on the math, and I'm like, hold on, how the hell did you play in the Olympics? So walk us through that story. I probably just gave a ton of it yeah. away because I'm a really lousy storyteller. But what like you know that process and how you how you got through it? Yeah, so we were in Russia at the time. Um, we had pretty much our Olympic squad together, plus taxi squad, and we were playing games, training um, on that particular day. So it was mid-November, two and a half months before the Olympics. We had finished practice and um, we had to go back to the hotel to do our workout, which unfortunately the hotel gym is not the most decked out gym. They had um, some tile flooring and afterwards we were like, hey, let's do something fun. We'd been playing hacky sack. It was our fun little warm-up slash cool down game. Uh, So we started kicking it around on the tile flooring. And unfortunately, um, it was a little slippery. And I jumped up to go um, catch the hacky sack on a wide pass, slipped as I jumped, got the hacky sack, perfect pass back. Had a girl. Uh, landed, slipped again, and fell pretty much from maybe a little above hip height right onto my left ankle. <laughs> the audience can't see me cringing. I've seen the X-rays, so that's that. If they, you hear that sort of sound, that's me cringing because I know, I know the, video. the result. I have, yeah. Afterwards, my uh, teammate went to the security guard and asked for the security footage. So <laughs> you have security, <laughs> but you have it. security footage of your Olympic dream almost ending. Yes. <laughs> how'd you? Once you found out how bad it was, um, 
how how'd you manage? There's some there's there's a lesson here in how you manage it and how you go from my rather than focusing on my dream is over to coming back. Yeah. So I at first didn't think it was broken. I was convinced that it was like just a ligament tear, tweak, or sprained ankle. I'm good. And I think that's the positive thinking. But I think in the back of my head, I also recognize this, there, this could be really bad. I don't, I don't know. So um, AT sent me to the hospital, got an x-ray. I'm sitting on the table and they go, it's broken. What? <laughs> I, I think I was still a little bit You'd in been shock. Walking around, what people don't know is you'd actually been walking around on it at that point. You were so convinced it wasn't that bad. Oh, yeah. Like we were in that, that hotel gym was in the basement. So there's no elevator. And I walked up that flight of stairs to get to the main level and get in that taxi. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. This doesn't hurt. Yeah, and for the record, folks, it was not just broken. It was broken clean through. Yeah. So the x-ray showed clean line through. The point was actually going right into the joint. So any movement that I made with my ankle was actually that point was digging into the joint that could potentially like cause lots of problems if I tried to run or play or do anything on right. it. So they put it in a cast immediately and... I think my my initial reaction was was shock. And then I think there was there was a few minutes there where I think I could have gone either way. You know, like I I could have gone to feeling really bad, feeling like oh my gosh, this is this is the end. Like this is terrible. Like what did I just do playing hacky sack. <laughs> or I could go like you said into okay, what do I need to do to get back? And I think that those four years and the mindset that I've been trying to cultivate and um, has really honestly, in my mind, prepared me for that moment. Like, what? why feel bad? It's happened. And this is literally me discovering it right away. Like, two, like I just found out two minutes ago, I broke my ankle and I'm like, this is your dad. Oh, it's happened. This is your dad in the car. What's the most important shot? Next shot. Exactly. Exactly. And I just started thinking, okay, um, this number popped in my head six weeks. For some reason in my mind, I was like, broken bone, I can get back in six weeks. I don't know why I thought that, but to me, it seemed to make sense. And I just immediately started reaching out to everyone that I knew to try to find a surgeon. Broken bone, the time starts the clock starts when i get surgery done so that was i had to do that asap and and it was funny everyone was visiting me like the coaches and, and the tiny staff and my teammates are all visiting me they're all so sad they were like acting like i was not gonna make it back like this was over and i was like i don't know why i was like consoling them <laughs> I was the one like, don't worry, I'll be back six weeks. And they were all like, oh no, like this is terrible. Um, and it was just, it was, it was so funny to, to be in that on the other side of that. Like, no, it's okay. Like, don't worry, six weeks, I'll be back. Like, you'll see, no problem. And then turn around and like, okay, I need to find a surgeon. Like, who's got me a surgeon? <laughs> um, and I was super fortunate. A former teammate who played on Team USA, um, Megan Bozak, she referred me to um, Dr. Kotzia at, um, um, at an orthopedic center in Minneapolis. And he's actually a physician for the Vikings. So world-class foot and ankle surgeon. Um, he's was literally like emailed me back right away and was like, I can see you in for surgery tomorrow morning. 
And I was like, hold on, I still get a flight there first. Like I'm in Russia still. He's like, what, what are you doing in Moscow? (laughs) But it was just goes to show like, like, like how people, like when you reach out, like people like respond, like, and, and I'm just like super grateful that like, I got all the help and support that I did from everyone that, that was all set up like pretty much overnight. Like I stayed up all night with the time change emailing people, calling people, trying to figure out where to go. Do I go to Finland? Do I go to Canada? Do I go to the U.S.? Eventually decided to go to the U.S. in Minneapolis and pretty much booked my flight, got on a flight the next day. Wow. So, so and it, but, but there's a lesson here. If you throw a little pity party for yourself for even a week, that might... Oh, I wouldn't have made it back. That, that's the, that's, that, the, dif- that's the difference between making it back and not. The fact that you went into that sort of, let's find a solution, let's stay positive, allowed you to have a chance. And just to give a little more context, there, even if I got surgery done, rehabbed, was able to get back on the ice, there's no guarantee I would make it back because my team was flying to China a few weeks later and you, it's not like you can just quarantines. You, didn't, you quarantine, just don't show up yeah. in China. Yeah, you can't just show up. There's no commercial flights there. Like every Olympic team has a chartered flight that has to get approved by the Chinese Olympic Committee. Like there's all the all this red tape you have to go through to just get there. Right. So the fact that I had took a big risk, like they they wanted me to do surgery and come back right away, back to Russia, but they didn't have the infrastructure there for the kind of accelerated rehab that I need to go through. The facility that I was at in Minneapolis was unreal. They had all the state of art stuff. Like they had the underwater treadmill. They had, they had the best um, PTs and ATs. You couldn't be a facility like that. You needed access to that to have a chance to get back. But by staying and using that access to it, it made it much harder to get to China where you needed to be at the end. Right. So I took a risk where I was like, okay, I'm going to go do the surgery. I'm going to stay for the full six. I ended up doing seven weeks in total, but it was really six weeks to get five and a half weeks to get back on the ice. Um, I took a risk because I didn't know if I would be able to get back to China. I I even reached out to like Team USA. Hey, can I join you guys on your flight? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Why not ask? So that's kind of where I think like that when 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 i realized that my ankle was broken there were so many question marks so many unknowns that i had to grapple with and in that situation it's easy to be paralyzed by all of those unknowns and and tr- and not know what to do or if this is a risk to take but you have to take action you can't do nothing you have to do something and you know what Maybe it's not the most optimal decision, but doing something is better than doing nothing because doing nothing is a decision in and of itself. And so I think, again, like going back to like the positive affirmations, like you have to put yourself in a certain state of mind that will allow you to move forward. And I think that's what I, I tried to do. Whereas like in those few minutes after, oh my gosh, my ankle's broken, I had that split path that I could have gone down emotionally, mentally. And I looked at that and I went, I can go this way. And this could be a really bad, bad, worst experience of my hockey career. Or I could go this way. And you know what? Like, I'm going to make the best of it. It happened. I'm going to make the best of it. 
And this whole time I'm going to be learning and I'm going to be doing what I can. And yeah, there's going to be a ton of question marks. And out of all the four years at this moment, the Olympics is looking the least likely. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm probably not going to make it back, but I'm going to go for it. So what do I got to do? What do I got to do? And, but more importantly, how do I have to be? Because what I'm doing is not going to happen if I'm not being in the right state of mind, being in the right mentality, the right, right emotional state. You can't just go through the motions on this. Yeah. <laughs> you really so can't. So ultimately, how do you end up getting back? So I fly to Minneapolis. It wasn't a straight line, was it? No, no, no. No, no, not at all. Planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> fly to Minneapolis. I get surgery done. And uh, I end up doing seven weeks total rehab at week... I think I was at week three and a half, four. I start walking. I'm in the, I'm in the underwater treadmill. I'm walking. And mind you, like this surgeon, I love him. He's hilarious. After the surgery... He's telling me he's about like, he put the plate in this and that. And I go, okay, like at what point can I walk with the cast on? He's like, oh, right now. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, the plate's in there. It's taking the weight. Like as long as it doesn't hurt, you can walk. Wow. Like literally the day after the surgery, I was like, okay, <laughs> sure. But that's the new approach now where you want to be pushing that boundary. But again, with the pain, it's a signal, right? doesn't mean that if it hurts, you're injuring yourself. It just means, hey, pay attention, be careful. There's yeah. danger. Yeah. So in that sense, it's like, no, trusting your body, listen to your body. And this is where I think like I've come 180 from Princeton where like I wouldn't have made it through that rehab process if I didn't fully listen to and trust what my body was telling me. Because that ankle injury, like if I push too hard, I wouldn't, I would be, I wouldn't be recovering because I'd be pushing it so much. I'd be creating more inflammation. Right. It wouldn't be healing enough. Right. So you have to balance the two. But if I didn't push enough, okay, now I'm experiencing more muscle atrophy. I'm experiencing lesser range of motion. I'm not pushing it enough to get the range of motion and strength back that I needed to actually be able to play on the ice. Right. So, and, and, and in fact, what they're seeing now is uh, movement creates healing. So like if you have like a ligament tendon injury within reason, movement will actually help it recover faster than if you just kept it completely immobile. Yeah. So that's where it's so, so important to be completely in tune with your body and working with your ATPT. They were amazing because they understood that they would ask me every single day where I was at and adjust what we were doing based off of that. But at the end of the day is like, I had veto power. It's like, if I felt like something was too much, it was too much. If I was like, hey, why aren't we doing more? All right, let's give you more. And in doing that, that's how, that's how you find that sweet spot to optimize that rehab process. And I'm guessing it worked because I was on the ice in five and a half weeks. That's crazy. <laughs> now you're on the ice, so you're, you're back. How did it feel? How did you feel? And, and then walk us through getting to China. You, have to go, you had to go back through Russia? Yeah, so I needed... Uh, a, a, uh, 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 a visa to get into the country and B, I needed a plane. And luckily the men's team was supposed to travel with the women's team to China early, but they decided to stay and continue playing, um, KHL games, KHL, yeah. right? Makes sense. Okay. Playing in games is better than, um, just practicing. Right. So, right. uh, they were slotted to leave third week of January and my rehab finished first week of January. 
So it almost like perfectly timed out where I flew to Russia, uh, was there for a week and a half, worked with their goalie coach, uh, Yari, who's actually was super, super helpful. Um, and got out on the ice with, uh, one of the local MHL teams to practice with them, which is really fun. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that was honestly like, couldn't have gone any better. Like I got that a different style of coaching, which I think complemented what I was already doing really well and got on the ice to practice with MHL team and got some great shots. Um, and this all while still, you know, cause, cause my ankle was still like, you know, had, had some inflammation and things. So after practices, it would be sore, it'd be hurting. But at the end of the day, at that point it was like, okay, like I need to be ready to play. Right. So I stalled the healing on my ankle so that I could be ready to play. And that's the trade-off that I made knowingly made. So I'm in Russia the week and a half. We have to do COVID tests to get on the plane and go to China. And there's four cases. <laughs> And everyone's like, oh gosh, are we going to still go on the flight? What's happening? We end up all going except for the positive cases. And in my head, I'm thinking, there's going to be more cases. There's going to be more positives. Just get me there, please. (laughs) Just get me there. Like after all of this, to test positive for COVID, oh my goodness. (laughs) So I had my fingers crossed the whole time. We get to China. We quarantine. Um, we were supposed to get out after three days and start practicing, but we ended up quarantining for, for full eight days. I'm in my, uh, hotel room. I have nothing to work out with. You know, I just started getting back on the ice and now once again, eight days, I'm eight days, not on the ice. Luckily we had, um, a box of water bottle, water bottles. So I, uh, took this box of water bottles and that was my weights for the week. <laughs> so I was just doing an in-room work training with water bottles. We needed to set you up with some virtual reality. We needed to have you over there in some sense arena. You could have saw some shots in the hotel room. That would have been, that, that would have been, been really yeah, helpful. Yeah, I should have met you. There's not much help now, Kev. Way to go. But yeah, yeah. like uh, we know some people that use that as part of their quarantine programs at, at different tournaments and it was really helpful. Oh, so that's awesome. Next time. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> so what's it? You finally got a quarantine. You do, your teammates know you're coming or was it like? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they know I'm coming. Um get out of quarantine. I literally uh, see my teammates for the first time when I get into the Olympic Village. Wow. So two and a half months of rehab and traveling and trying to get on a plane, trying to get to China, being in quarantine. Now I'm finally in the Olympic Village. And I think that was a super emotional moment for me just to even be there, just to even be there. I was like, wow, I am so grateful and appreciative to even be here. Like, I don't even have to play a game. Just the fact that I made it here, I think says a lot about how far I've come in my journey, both as a player and as a person. And, you know, saw my teammates again and we had three practices, three practices. That's it. And then game started. (laughs) So I was like, Hey guys, practice a couple times. Okay. I guess we're playing the Olympics now. Let's go. (laughs) Ready to go. Here we go. (laughs) But everything you've done to that point prepares you for that, right? Like mindset, the ability, that's not ideal, right? Ready for anything, literally anything. (laughs) There's a lot of people would have buckled under that. Like there are a lot like, Hey, there's a lot of goalies right up to the pro level that once they're outside of their ideal element or their ideal circumstances, that sends them off in the wrong direction mentally. 
But at this point, like as much as it might sort of sound corny to say, you really are prepared for anything and how to manage the emotion and mental aspects of that so that you can get to your place on the ice. Yeah. And there was one final lesson for me that I had to learn. I had to experience right before going into those games. Um, I think coming off that injury, I didn't play in a game for two and a half months. I had not played in a game since having the injury. I had barely practiced. I was just coming out of an eight-day quarantine, not having been on the ice. I'm just now practicing with my team. And I had all of these doubts and worries. And everywhere I looked, people were worried about me, like my coaches, my teammates. They were all naturally concerned. Of course. Okay, you can... You're back and you can play, but we don't know where you're at. We don't know, like, are you going to be able to play like you were before your injury? Like, are you fully healed? Is it hurting? Like, so everyone had that kind of uh, question mark in their minds. And, and I could see that, right? And I had that for myself. So there came a point where I was... Like, I don't know if I'm ready. Like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, I had a conversation with my parents because they're my biggest supporters. Um, And my mom said something that really made me think. She said, uh, just do the best that you can with where you're at right now. You can't expect any more of yourself. At the end of the day, if you did that, you can be happy with how you did. And I thought about it. I was like, there's this common thing of don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to you yesterday. But I would go a little further than that and say that, but you're not you yesterday. You're you today. If I expect myself to play at the level I did before breaking my ankle, but I broke my ankle, I'm not the same that I was. So if I have those expectations for myself, of course, I'm going to be doubtful, worried, not sure if I'm ready. Like that's, that was me then. This is me now. I'm in a different spot, better or worse, right? So it's unreasonable to compare myself to that. And so I thought, well, then don't. And so I know that I, okay, I played hockey my whole life. I've been playing pro hockey for four years. Everything has been leading up to this moment. And you can be sure that I did everything that I could during rehab to get myself ready. Like when I look back, there's not a single thing that I could have done more or different or better. And so there's nothing to regret. There's nothing to change. I am where I am. And just if I go out there and I do my best, whatever the result, good or bad, whatever my performance, good or bad, I can be happy with that. And that just, when I thought that, I was like, wow. That just relieved all of that external pressure. And it didn't matter anymore to me. There was all this expectations from the coaches. Feeling like, okay, my teammates are relying on me. Expectations from the country. Like, you know, China has expectations. We want you guys to reach this goal and that goal and that goal. Even people, people's uh, comments or expectations about Team China, right? And how they think, you know, whatever, we're going to get crushed or this or that, the next thing. When I had that thought of, 
just doing the best I can with where I am right now. All of that stuff just didn't seem to matter anymore because at the end of the day, it's about the experience and being the best version of myself that I can be in that moment. And so that's, that's where I got in. When I got into that state of mind and I went on the ice, I stepped on the ice for that first Olympic game we were playing against Denmark. I was just in the moment. I was just playing. And guess what? I played better, honestly played better than I would have if I hadn't broken my ankle. Wow. <laughs> like, and that's the crazy thing is I look, I'm like, wow. Like we had a really great run. Like we, we beat Denmark. Uh, it was a one goal game. We beat Japan in, in shootout one goal game. Like Japan was the, was the strongest team in, in our group. And we beat them. Like, that's crazy. Every single game was a one-goal game. Every single game was so intense. And I think that that just raised everyone's level. Like, I looked at some of my teammates. I was like, I've never seen you play this well in my life. (laughs) And that's the amazing thing about the Olympics. I think that big stage and all of that pressure, it brings out the best in people. It really is such a peak experience. Like, I was like that this is the best hockey I've ever played. This is the most exciting hockey I've ever played. The most meaningful hockey I've ever played. And you played your best. And I played my best. In that moment. Because of my broken ankle. On that stage. Not in spite of it. That's amazing. Um, is that the like is it when I you know the the routine question is what's your biggest takeaway? What's your biggest memory? What will last with you um about being an Olympian? And we think of like opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, but is that it? Like, is that the game? Like the games and the and everything that went to getting there and the expectation and how you and your teammates rose to that occasion? Is that the, the lasting memory or are there other things that you take away from it? I think the biggest thing for me was just my journey has had a lot of ups and downs. And I think that last down was really low. <laughs> and so when when I came back and... We won that first game against Denmark. But when I stepped off that ice, I was so overwhelmed with all these emotions. I couldn't go to do the interviews for like a good like 40 minutes. <laughs> I was like borderline hyperventilating. Like I couldn't breathe. I was like, oh, my, what's happening to me? But it's just everything, like everything leading up to that, everything that we had gone through individually and as a team like we have our core group that had been there for for the pro years and and through this olympic year and that whole journey and just everything that it meant like with my chinese heritage and getting to connect my grandfather like everything coming together in that moment and winning that first game against denmark and it was that was a tough game right like we had to battle and we didn't um we didn't come ahead until like pretty much the end of the third period. Um, so it was just really overwhelming because to me, I was like, if I'm just having the chance to play, like I'm happy. <laughs> but now I get to play, not just that, we get to win. And w- I had a great performance and my teammates had a great performance. And seeing the reaction of all the Chinese fans, they were ecstatic. They were so excited. And it created this, energy around hockey that's just never existed before in China. 
And that's what it's all about. You think about like, like when I was a kid playing in my first game and that excitement I had, it didn't matter the score, it didn't matter, you know, that I got pepper shots and let all these goals in. I was playing hockey and it was fun. And it was, it was this amazing experience. And so sharing that with people and, and showing people what hockey is in China. And there's so many kids now who are like, I want to play hockey. <laughs> I want to play. <laughs> I could play on team China. Like how do I, like I had people messaging me like, you know, is it too late for me? I want to start playing hockey. My dreams to play on team China. You know, they, they, they can see it now. That's awesome. <laughs> what a cool experience. Like that's, and, and well, it's, and so I want to talk a little bit because we are way over. But this has been amazing. But I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing now. And when you share that experience and the emotions of it, I don't think it's a coincidence that the school you're working with right now is called Empower Hockey, that you and um, uh, one of your teammates, Mel Jew, is is running here in Va- mainly Vancouver. Or are you guys traveling as well? Uh, we're in, yeah, greater Vancouver area. Okay. Yeah. So Empower Hockey. Uh, I think the name itself, like we probably ties into so much of what we've just talked about, um, from the mental side to the way you've overcome it to get to, to the experience you had in China. Just, just walk our listeners through, like if they want the Kimberly Newell experience, they want to learn some of these things from you and your teammate. Um, what are you guys up to? So we're uh, starting summer programs uh, in the area, and you know. I think a lot about how to structure things in a way that's best for the athlete. Okay. Um, we see a lot of programs that are really more structured for the convenience of it. Right. And and you know this is not this is not to criticize other the way that it's been done traditionally because here's the thing you always have to be thinking how to rethink the model. What's always been done is just that's just what continues to happen until someone comes along and says, Hey, why don't we try it this way? Not that how it's been done before is wrong, but that, Hey, why don't we continue to evolve it? Move forward. Right. So what we're really looking to do is creating a full service summer development, um, mostly targeted towards, uh, the female side of the game. Cause I think there's not a lot of, uh, dedicated programming out for for female side of the game. It's growing so quickly, especially in this area, um, that uh, we've had feedback from some of the girls even that we're like, we're so excited to come to your programs because we've never had coaches that are here for us. We've always gone to other camps, programs, and it's like, oh, we're we're a girl playing hockey versus a hockey player. Right. So I think that's super uh, exciting for them. But on top of that, the things that, that I've been talking about, about like the mental side of the game, about the recovery, a lot of that is not addressed at a level that's meaningful at the younger ages. I learned all of this after college, but there's no reason why these kids can't learn it in would minor it, hockey. It have been great to have that in your toolbox when you were in college. For sure. 100%. And earlier. And a lot of this stuff is uh, cross-disciplinary. And that's a big challenge because if you have say a goalie coach, you're coaching on a skills aspect of goaltending, but okay. What about developing off ice movement capacity? What about addressing the mental side of the game? 
What about recovery? What about your education? If you want to go to college, how do you position yourself so that you're giving yourself the best options? How do you think about what schools you want to go to? These are all things that um, I had help with my mom a lot about like with the school pathway. But a lot of parents don't know where to go for resources, don't know who to go to, who to trust. We went to a lot of different physios, a lot of different uh, treatment centers. And at the end of the day, like if you're not an industry expert, how do you know how to evaluate if this treatment is working or not? By definition, you can't. Um, and so that's where we're bringing together as much as we can to give a full holistic approach on ice skills training, off ice uh, strength, strength initiating training, mental skill sessions. And we're also bringing in a neuromuscular therapist to do some treatment. Um, not necessarily specifically for injury, but to show you, Hey, this is how your body, um, compensates. This is how, what you need to work on. This is how you can recover better and how that integrates in with the off ice training. So we're really excited because I think this is an approach that like for me personally has completely changed my game in the last three years, completely changed it. I'm a different athlete and a different goalie. And we want to bring this to the younger ages um, where it will make the most impact. Like I think those high school years is where you can make the biggest impact uh, for a young athlete. So you and Mel are just getting started with this. Um, where can they find you to find out more information as you guys as as you get going with this? Yeah, so this is our um, our first year running the programs. We're uh, in power hockey. We're mostly based in Burnaby in the Vancouver area, yep. and uh, we have our website empowerhockey.ca. We'll put and, that in the show uh, notes. Our uh, Instagram empower underscore hockey. Right. Um, so yeah, we're we're super excited to be doing this, and I think that we really want to provide as much value to the athlete as possible from our own experiences, but also bringing in other experts. Um, so that they can have someone that they trust knows what they're doing to, to, to help them elevate their game. I feel like we just got like the ultimate Ted talk here. This is like Ted talk times six. Maybe there are so many takeaways, Kimberly. Um, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I feel like you and I could sit here and talk hockey, but not even talk about like how much did we talk about on the ice? Not a ton, right? Like, <laughs> but that is how you develop a, an athlete. It's the holistic approach and you, your experiences and the way you've learned through them. I just can't thank you enough for spending the time to share that with our audience. There's going to be a lot of people that are making notes and looking to apply these things to their own lives, not just their own games, but their own lives after listening to it. So I thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin. And um, I hope that um, you know, I think a big part of the game is that the the mental side and 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 also the the philosophy, like the philosophical approach that you take to life and to hockey. That's what it's about. I think we want to grow people. That it, hockey is a metaphor for life. And as you go through hockey and you learn, you become a better person. That's fundamentally what's going to also make you a better hockey player. And that's why I talk a lot about the things that I talk about. So. Yeah, super happy to have chatted with you and um, hope that, you know, people can have a few takeaways that can help them in their own game. Well, we'll make sure we put a link to Empower Hockey in the show notes for everyone who's listening to this. Check it out at ingolmag.com. That link will be there. And check out Kimberly's um, Instagram as well because there's links to Empower Hockey through there. 
Uh, also, some shots from China of the sickest gear of the past season. Thanks to Brian's and that setup. That was wicked. Wow. Not getting rattled. First of all, that whole thing was amazing. But uh, the Olympics, that dangling in front of you, working so hard and keeping control of your emotions and powering through that was really neat, Woody. Well, and, and, but, and you should see the scar. Like, this was not a, like, I've, I, yeah. she showed me the picture of the break. First of all, can't believe she was walking around on it. It was clean right through. And then, second of all, the scar from the surgery. And, you know, you, you hear that story and just everybody else is like, you're done and I'm so sorry. And they're in tears and, and she's just focused on what? What's next? And if she'd waited yeah. even a couple of days to pursue a surgeon, she probably doesn't make it back. Like the windows were so tight for her. And so just a, a remarkable and, and how that focus and that ability to go to next save, like goes right back yeah, to the car rides cool. with her dad going, yeah. What's the most important save? The next, like, like I just loved, I loved everything about that interview. I think, you know, and I told her this, I, I don't know if I said it in the interview, but after the fact, like we have so many parents that listen to this podcast on the way to the rank with their kids. Um, man, I hope they all listen to this one because they're, it's loaded with valuable insights. And, and stuff that uh, just comes up in conversation too. It wasn't uh, everything that was uh, on a post that you got to hold up and, and show from the, the rooftop. It, some of us just subliminal and uh, just generic and uh, coming out of the discussion. And then also some of it was, you know, deep dives into psyche with a sports psychologist to understand yeah. what were the keywords for her? What are the principles? I just, like I said, I don't want to repeat too much of what was in there, but man, it was just yeah. loaded with so many good examples. I think there's, there's a few actually now that I think about, we really got to pull out and create articles. And we've, I've talked to Kimberly a little bit. Let's see, let's see what we can do. And of course, like a true, like there's a science and knowledge pursuit background there a little bit, even though that wasn't what she studied in school necessarily. But like some of the things that she's doing are based on studies and, you know, work of other people that she's studied and dug into, um, you know, movement science and things like that. And she doesn't want to just give us a quick takeaway explaining how she translated it to her goaltenders because she wants to make sure re she respects the people that established it. And so that'll be part of the conversation. We have to stay genuine to, you know, anything we share has to stay genuine to her need and desire to make sure the proper people get the proper credit. And nobody thinks that she's reinventing wheels here on this stuff. And that's just... Just another credit to the person she is. I was one of the most enjoyable interviews I'd done in a long time. As you guys can can guess, um, as as long as that was, when it ended, we sat and talked for another hour, and I my and she was still blowing my mind with cool stuff. It it was great. I was listening to it and thinking, wouldn't it be a great pro read with with Kim too? Like breaking down all the different situations with her would be fantastic. Yeah, hundred percent. The only crappy part is the Olympics tend not to share that footage yeah. very widely. Good point. Yeah. I don't feel like getting locked up for for using footage I'm not allowed to. No. Uh Toronto, uh, we mentioned uh does not have a goaltender as we record this, but they do have a goalie coach, which fits nicely into what's happening over at Ingolmag. Yeah, ingolmag.com are premium subscribers, members, we call them, not subscribers. They're members. They're part of the Ingle family. Uh, may have noticed that in between part one and part two of our 
organizing reps drill with Curtis Sanford. The first part was focused on the drill itself and the keys. We got into the technical and tactical sort of focal points of execution. He talked a lot about entries and alignment. Well, we we explained all that stuff in part two. But what happened was, in part one, he was the Vancouver Canucks goalie development coach. In part two, he is the Toronto Maple Leafs goalie coach. So we had to make a little switches in there, a little bit of writing edits and some some headline edits. But folks, if you want a glimpse into the mindset, the philosophy of the new Toronto Maple Leafs goaltending coach, beyond listening to the podcast with him from from back in early October, make sure you check out uh, the premium options at ingoldmag.com for our members that now include multiple parts and multiple drills and instructions with Curtis Sanford. And we got a, a, a few more to roll out with the new Toronto Maple Leafs goalie coach in the coming weeks. It's just pretty cool to see somebody uh, who's with us and and helping uh, the Ingle uh, product line out uh, evolve with their own career progress. It sure is. We were really happy for Curtis when he got that job so well-deserved and yet kind of mourning a little bit as well because Toronto is one of those teams that doesn't let their goalie coaches talk to the media. So uh, if you want to find out what Curtis Sanford is like as a coach, these few articles that are still coming up that are in the can might be your last chance for a while because uh, unfortunately he's going to be be going quiet uh, in terms of his access to us in the media, which uh, is unfortunate because he's a very intelligent uh, coach, very intelligent goaltender, and he's got uh, a lot of great stuff to uh, to share. I really enjoyed um, putting this article together. Woody wrote it. I sort of assemble it and share it with everybody. and. Uh, just listening to the commentary, getting to be a fly on the wall as we put the videos together is uh, is fascinating. There's a chance to learn something. It's not just do it this way uh, as a teacher, but he explains exactly why he'd like you to do it that way. And I think uh, certainly for myself as a student, that's uh, an incredibly important thing to, to understand why I'm doing something. And uh, he communicates that very effectively. Like you too, Woody and I. I want What's you to that? do it this way, but this is why I want you to do it this way. Do we say there's that? a lot of that with Hutch? Uh, really? Well, there's there's insinuation. It's not like that at the hockey like shop. It's like shut up, guys. We got to get to the next segment. Let's go. That is true. Yeah. Listening to those two yap and yap and yap and trying to get them to go. Like yeah. you're, you're, you tell them I'm I'm rolling six times before they actually do it. And then Woody, <laughs> have you noticed Woody always has to look at his phone one last time? <laughs> He's just checking his notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Woody, you're still here. Do I call it a catcher or a trapper or a glove? I don't know what to call it. So he looks it up. Helmet, what was Darren mask? telling me to yeah. do last time? Mask or is it a helmet? I don't know. What the hell is this thing we call a dangler? How do I'm, Why do I have to talk about it for five minutes? Did you, did you have one on after last week's episode and uh, talking through the, how to put it on, how to have less uh, less noise? Have you, have you followed through on that? I haven't followed through yet, but I also haven't been no. on the ice yeah. in a week. So um, I, I may have to give this a go, Darren. I... I, I I've never been a guy who has problems with collarbone stuff and, and shots there. Um, typically Just keep the one. chin tucked a little bit, but uh, it's fast yeah. hands, Woody fast hands. It's not a chin tuck. It's fast hands. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. 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 Actually, the puck would actually have to hit me for it to hurt me. So you don't get those on the collarbone when they just go over your shoulder and in all the time. That's um, let's be honest here, but no, I'm going to have to try one Darren. I promise dad. You are the dad in this scenario that I will, for yeah. you, improve my safety item. 
Well, let's hope it doesn't happen to you, but we will uh, break now. Uh, let's uh, hope that you stay intact uh, going forward. Uh, thanks to uh, Kimberly Newell. Uh, thanks to Cam over at the Hockey Shop. Thanks to Sensorina, Sensorina VR, the Hockey Shop, a source for sports, sorry, thehockeyshop.com. Be well, gentlemen. I uh, can't wait to talk to you next week when we uh, dive into some of the movement on NHL free agency. Stay safe. 